It's an amazing world. In an instant, you can shop for a trombone, check on weather, and meet new friends. That is, if you can access the Internet. NVDA is a free screen reader that helps people who are blind or visually impaired get online. The American Foundation for the Blind tells you how with Learn NVDA. Free video lessons that teach technology for work and play. Launch your tech adventure. Learn more at www.afb.org slash learn NVDA. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Bishop here at the ACB Conference and Convention. And now we have an opportunity to talk with one of our Onyx sponsors, Freedom Scientific. Or wait a minute, is that what really we should call you now? Hello, Jonathan. Hi, Jeff. Good to talk to you. Yes, I guess we're VFO, and Freedom Scientific is one of the brands within the VFO group. Yeah, this is very exciting. And, you know, we were scheduling this interview, and I'm kind of glad we waited a wee bit because there were some pretty exciting announcements made recently. That's right. So VFO Group has acquired AI Squared, which is the company that makes a number of products, including Window Eyes and Zoom Text. So we're all under the one umbrella now. We're really excited about working with such a great team of people. And we're excited about what might come going forward. But right now, it's business as usual. ZoomText and uh, WindowWise and Jaws and Magic are all coexisting. You can still expect updates. You can still expect to get the same quality tech support you always have. So right now, we're just moving forward on that basis. That's fantastic. So we should expect at the convention to see VFO in one big booth, perhaps? Or are they going to be sort of spread throughout the convention floor? Well, certainly Optelec and Freedom Scientific brands are going to be together. Of course, the acquisition of AI Squared has happened quite close to convention, and I don't know whether logistically it's going to be possible to do any further consolidation of the booths at this point. But it's kind of nice, you know, because as you know, having gone to so many of these conventions and hung around the exhibit hall a lot, people are pretty friendly anyway to one another. You know, there's a lot of back and forth between all the people who attend these conventions. We get to know one another and find out about how everybody's family's doing, that kind of thing. So it is really quite cooperative most of the time. And now to have everybody under the same roof, it's a great feeling. I remember at CSUN, there were balloons linking the booths together when they were separated. That was kind of cute. Yeah, it is a nice touch. And while we're talking (laughs) about booths and exhibits, we are in booths number 12 through 15 this year, so we're pretty easy to find, I think. That sounds like a low number, which means it sounds like we're pretty near the door. Very good. That's great. Well, now, this year at the convention, you guys are bringing something that... uh, started last year to our convention and this is great really really excited i'm really excited because i want my copy of open book personally (laughs) so can you tell us about this yes very happy to The, the way this works is that freedom scientific now has a home use program for the traditional freedom scientific brand products and ACB, the American Council of the Blind, is eligible for that home use program. And what that means is that it allows us to extend the home use program to anybody who registers for and attends the convention. Uh, In practical terms, what that means is some phenomenal pricing because of the home use program. So you can get the very latest JAWS 17, a home license of that, if you've never purchased JAWS before. This is a brand new product. It's not an upgrade from anything. 
If you've never purchased yours before, you can walk away with it this year for just $75, which is one heck of a deal with JAWS 17. Now, if you have had any version of JAWS in the past, even if it's lurking on a bunch of old floppy disks somewhere in your basement or something like that, then you can upgrade for just $50 to the latest version of JAWS. Now, what we do ask is that because there's going to be so much demand for these upgrades, that you think ahead of time to uh, get your serial number ready so that when you come to the booth, you'll have your serial number and that will help us to process all of the orders that we know we're going to receive. If you don't know your serial number, but you know that you were a JAWS customer in the past, then you can drop us an email or give us a call. Let us know that you're going to be attending the ACB conference and convention or that you're there now. In fact, you can do it from ACB itself and then we will do our best to track down your details and let you know what the serial number is so that when you walk up to the booth you'll have the information to get your order processed quickly. Now we're also offering a Home Edition SMA, a software maintenance agreement for just $100. Now your open book, your open book 9 license, the very latest copy of that, that is also just $75 for a brand new copy. Similarly, a Magic 13 license is just $50 and a Magic Software Maintenance Agreement is $75. And finally, if it's hardware that you are after, then we have a 20% discount across the board on all of the hardware at conference and convention this year. So you've got a lot of bargains to take advantage of there. I mean, you can imagine somebody could pick up a brand new copy of JAWS and Open Book for just $150 when you join them together. That is amazing. Well, exactly. I mean, the price of a JAWS SMA for the professional version of JAWS is, what, 200 if, right, you, if you yeah. get it during the, the right window and, and 260 if not. So, yeah, what a deal. Wow, this is great. And this extends to Braille displays and all of the, uh, the low vision hardware as well? Yes, that's right. Uh, within the Freedom Scientific brand, that's correct. So, you know, with a Focus 14 or 40 Blue, 20% off that is a decent chunk of change. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we're really proud of those Braille displays. We keep hearing time and time again how well they're working with mobile devices, particularly eye devices. And some Braille displays seem to have a bit of an issue retaining their pairing, getting them working again if you've locked and then unlocked your screen. But the feedback that we're getting is that the Focus displays are performing very well in those scenarios. And um, yeah, I really like mine. I take my Focus 14 Blue with me over my shoulder when I'm mobile. And if a text message comes in, I can sort of quietly read it in Braille on my phone and Braille a reply and send it. And, uh, and, and it's done. So it's a, it's a great tool to have. Fantastic. Now, will there be any announcements made at uh, convention concerning new releases of product? We might be almost announcements out after this month. Yes, exactly, (laughs) right? No, I I think that we may be talking just a wee bit about some of the things that are coming in JAWS 18. We're not quite ready to do the big reveal on JAWS 18 yet. And, of course, we do a podcast that I look after where typically we make the big announcements about that. But we may be able to give a couple of sneak peeks. But we will allow you to get your hands. We encourage you, in fact, to get your hands on the latest technology that we're offering in the booth. And also, we are going to have an area kind of ring-fenced off, if you will, so that if you need to sit down 
and work with your product with a specialist. So maybe you want to work out how to do a particular task in Microsoft Word or uh, you want to see how to pair a focus display with an iPhone or Android device before you buy one. We will have product specialists there in a part of the booth where you can sit down at a table and get some really quality one-on-one time. That's fantastic. That's really great. Well, we're very excited to have Freedom Scientific and VFO Group at the ACB convention. And these specials that are being offered are really fantastic for all of our members. Thank you so much for all of that. It's a pleasure, and we're very proud to support the the work of the ACB, and we're glad to be at the convention. Thank you, Jonathan, so, so much. Our mission at Sprint is to provide the highest quality wireless products and services for all of our customers. With our industry-leading devices, we're committed to anticipating the needs of our customers and making our award-winning services accessible to all. We demonstrate that commitment by working with a number of phone manufacturers and vendors to offer wireless services and devices that incorporate helpful, easy-to-use features. And our commitment goes well beyond these points when it comes to accessibility. We want to ensure that our service and devices are easy to use for everyone. We recognize that with vision loss, making calls on a cell phone can be difficult. Sprint is committed to delivering outstanding customer service and user-friendly accessible phones for our customers with vision loss. That commitment has driven us to develop a dedicated division to customers who are blind or have low vision. This focused accessibility group is called Sprint Vision. In this podcast, we'll be hearing from three important members of the Sprint Vision team and how their efforts will make using Sprint easier and more accessible than ever before. Kelly Egan is the Customer Relationship Manager for Sprint Vision. She lost her vision over the last few years. Kelly was diagnosed with cone rod dystrophy, a relatively rare eye disease. She was the first in her family to develop this degenerative retinal disease. As a corporate executive, Kelly has been intimately involved with the employment of individuals with disabilities since 1999. Her passion for leveling the playing field for people with disabilities became very real when she lost her sight and became part of the community she had represented for so many years. Her guide dog, Hope, helps her travel the country for Sprint Vision, representing their capabilities to the blind and low vision community. I got involved with Sprint as a contractor about oh a year and a half ago. I started working for Sprint at blind and low vision conferences and trying to, you know, learn with Sprint how to best serve the community. My job is to build this program and develop the program in a way that it serves the community. And my guide dog Hope and I travel around and work with various agencies and individuals to make sure we're on the right track. Justin Eddings is a senior user experience designer for Sprint. He spent over a decade creating devices and experiences for a wide variety of people across a diverse selection of objects and interfaces. A graduate of the University of Kansas, Justin has had a large focus on inclusive design and how the overall experience of any product is influenced by the tangible and intangible relationships. I'm a senior user experience designer here at Sprint, and I own the strategy and implementation of accessibility for the product organization. What that means is I work closely with the teams that are creating the objects like the phones and the tablets, uh, the services that we provide, and the applications that we build to ensure that everything is as accessible as possible and that we're creating a positive experience for all of our customers. Marianne Dry is a customer care support team member. She's dedicated to customer care at Sprint for many more years than she will admit. 
She is at Sprint because she is passionate about supporting connectivity for all customers and providing the best customer experience possible. So I manage the customer service employees and we have the privilege of actually speaking with the customers daily and experiencing what their issues are and we come up with the resolutions. What makes Sprint Vision unique or special? What makes Sprint unique and special, and especially in the vision area, is that we've taken a look at how do we best serve the blind and low vision community through accessible devices, through affordable plans, and also through great customer service. As a blind individual myself, I know one of the challenges in the, that I deal with is really trying to find someone to help me when I get stuck or when something goes wrong with whether it's a service or my phone or whatever. And Sprint has a dedicated support team to support people who are blind or low vision, and we call that our Visions program. We're the only company that has been in accessibility from the very beginning in mobile. Uh, We've co-authored many standards and, and rules that the major organizations now use to as enforcement. We've always thought about accessibility from a holistic approach. So uh, in many devices and many companies, you will see pieces of accessibility. Uh, components will be implemented, but ultimately it creates a fractured, ineffective experience. We take a step back and look at the holistic experience. How does it start? How does it transition through the middle and how does it end? what pieces are actually necessary to make a product truly accessible. What makes Sprint different is that we know the customer, we have team members that have vision losses and team members that are blind. And I think one of the important things is that we actually go out there and we meet with the customers, we talk with them, we attend different events And we show that we care and we value them and that their experience with Sprint is going to be very positive. Why is Sprint interested in the blind and low vision community? It is a large community that can become anyone at any time. And we just feel like it's important to be accessible to all people, whether it be blind, low vision, deaf, hard of hearing, people who have no disability, people who are mobility challenged. Etc. So we feel it's really critical to provide accessibility and communication and connection and independence for all. At Sprint, we believe that everybody should have the same experience, and it really comes down to the tools that you use to engage that experience. We are interested in these communities because they are a, a very technologically astute, very aware community that, that really is looking for a better deal. Uh, They want positive choice. They want the ability to live life on their terms. And we feel that we can enable that very easily with the products and services that we sell. How did you get involved in this program? I've kind of always done accessibility work. Some of the very earliest products that I made were were heavily focused on accessibility. Uh, So it's been something that I kind of naturally fell to. But personally, uh, I have two sons with learning disabilities, and it is my hope that By being able to do good work and accessibility, someone else will be empowered to do good work for my sons. My education background is with um, social services. So I've always had 
in the back of my mind that I wanted to work with people that I could help and make a difference to. So that this just kind of has led the way into uh, working for Sprint and knowing that there's other people that care and we want to do the right thing is just an added bonus. Tell us about your personal commitment to the blind low vision community. So if you have a vision loss or are blind, the goal for me is to help you remain independent. So Sprint has the ability to print bills and larger prints. We have features on the phone that make using the device easier for you. And we recognize what those needs are, and we will go above and beyond to support you. Just give us a call. Blindness has low vision, suffers from any sort of difference in the way that you see the world. I want you to come to Sprint because there are people like me and an organization behind me, hundreds of people that care that are fighting and working and solving every single day to ensure that you have the best experience you possibly can have. Uh, that may be in the way of a, a cheaper plan that's targeted specifically to how you use your phone so you don't have extra things you don't need. It might be working with the manufacturer of a phone to help them understand how, how something new and really exciting that they're creating can benefit your community or the way that they built it might cause problems. We are, are working every single day to ensure that, that we are building the best product that you can possibly buy and that you will enjoy using it on our network as long as you want. Thanks for listening to this. If you are blind or low vision, I would love to talk to you. If you have any problems, any struggles, and if you have any great stories, I'd love to talk to you to share them with others. So I would appreciate any communication coming from you to me. Um, I'm here to help you. If you want to connect directly with me, please email me at my personal email address, which is kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, dot Egan, E-G-A-N, at sprint.com. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing from you. On behalf of Sprint and Sprint Vision, we thank you very much for listening to our podcast. We trust it's shown you our heart and our commitment to people who are blind or have low vision and making connecting with others easier than ever with Sprint service and mobile devices. Sprint is active in teaming with app developers to create applications designed to accommodate the accessibility needs of people who cannot effectively read print on smartphones because of visual, physical, perceptual, developmental, cognitive, or learning disabilities. To learn more about Sprint Vision and accessibility devices, go to Sprint.com slash vision. That's Sprint.com slash vision. To buy now, call 1-866-588-5814. That's 1-866-588-5814. Or for Sprint Vision customer service, call 855-885-7568. Again, for Sprint Vision customer service, call 855-885-7568. And our email is sprintaccessibility at sprint.com. And thank you again for listening. Match your shirt for your date tonight. Are you dying to know what's in the picture one of your friends sent you? What are the heating instructions for your dinner tonight? 
Give the Bespecular app a try. Bespecular is an awesome new app on iOS and Android specifically developed for the visually impaired and deafblind. The Bespecular app is a fun, quick, and easy way to get answers to your everyday situations. Download the Bespecular app on the App Store or Play Store today. Want an awesome prize? Download the Bespecular app and come on over to Booth 38 to see if you want a prize. Here is the schedule for Monday, July 4th. Nicolette Ballroom, beginning at 8 a.m. Entertainment, Sandra Rukonik, Piano, Salt Lake City, Utah. 8.30 a.m. Invocation, John Huffman, Indianapolis, Indiana. Pledge of Allegiance, JPMC slash ACB Leadership Fellows. Deb Cook Lewis, Seattle, Washington. Debbie Dethridge, Louisville, Kentucky. Deanna Elliott, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And Kim Hebert, Lafayette, Louisiana. 8.35 a.m. ACB Business, ACB Sponsor Recognitions, Marjorie Beeman. Advertising and Sponsorship Coordinator, Austin, Texas. Adoption of Standing Rules and Program, Kim Charlson, ACB President, Watertown, Massachusetts. Final Credentials Committee Report, Jean Mann, Chair, Albany, New York. Constitution and Bylaws, John Huffman, Chair, Constitution and Bylaws Committee, Indianapolis, Indiana. Presiding Officer Jeff Tom, ACB First Vice President, Sacramento, California. 9.15 a.m. Presentation of Affiliate Membership Growth. James R. Olson, Distinguished Service, and Robert S. Bray Awards. Raquel Hart, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And Chip Haley, Joplin, Missouri. Co-Chairs, ACB Awards Committee. Presentation of Vernon Henley and Hollis Liggett Awards. Denise Colley, Chair, ACB Board of Publications, Lacey Washington. 9.35 a.m., meet Kirk Adams, new President and CEO of the American Foundation for the Blind, New York, New York. 10 a.m., break. 10.15 a.m., learn about the World Blind Union and being a recognized author. Charles Mossop, President, North America, Caribbean Region, World Blind Union, Nanaimo, Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada. 10.45 a.m., Developments and Ongoing Progress at NLS. Karen Kaniger, Director, National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped, Washington, D.C. 11.15 a.m., Update from the FCC. Elliot Greenwald, Deputy Chief Disability Rights Office, Federal Communications Commission, Washington, D.C. 11.45 a.m. Resolutions, Mark Reichert, Chair, Arlington, Virginia. 11.50 a.m. ACB Recreation Zone, Oral Miller, ACB Past President, Washington, D.C. 11.55 a.m. Announcements. And that concludes the schedule for Monday, July 4th. Good morning, everybody, from Minneapolis, Minnesota. We're live with the general session Monday morning of the 55th annual convention of the American Council of the Line. I'm going to go ahead and bring up the house, and we'll catch the last of the entertainment, and then Kim Charlson will be on to call the meeting to order.
I believe, good morning. Good morning, everyone. There we go. <laughs> I believe our entertainment, the beautiful piano playing, was provided by Sandy Rukinich, Salt Lake City, Utah. And if she can stay at the piano, I'm going to ask her. I'm sure she knows how to play the Star Spangled Banner. So whoever's at the piano, and there was a voice, a beautiful man's voice. So whoever he was, thank you for sharing your gift. It was beautiful. So, <laughs> all right. I'd like, hold, yes, I'd like you to do the Star Spangled Banner in a couple minutes, Sandy. Thank you. First, I want to take um, and recognize John Huffman, who will um, lead us in morning invocation. Do you have a mic? Oh, you're coming here. Okay. And here he comes. Okay, come in. A little more. And you have arrived. Let us be in a prayerful attitude. Lord of the universe. You are strong enough to guide the stars and set the planets traveling through space. You are strong enough to form the mountains, strong enough to carve out the seas and fill them with teeming life. And yet, you are gentle enough to enfold us in your arms and love us each as if we were your only child. Daily, you shower us with blessings too numerous to name. You give the sun to warm us, food to nourish us, families to love and encourage us. Your wisdom has inspired your people with many different faiths throughout history. At the core of each faith is a knowledge that you are love, and all your great faiths teach a rule that is very much like what the Christian tradition would call the golden rule. We gather here from many places and many circumstances. We are led here by a passion to improve the well-being of people who are blind or visually impaired. We will do important business here this week. Sometimes Our debates can grow heated because we are people with a passion. But let us always remember that we are here, all of us your children, and that you put us here to show others the love that you show to us. Bless us in this place. Bless those who would have been here but were prevented by circumstances. Bless the American Council of the Blind. Amen. Thank you. Now I'm going to prevail on my good friend and ACB's representative to the Braille Authority of North America, an incredibly talented musician, Sandy Rukinich, to play the Star Spangled Banner, and all of you will sing. Please rise. Whether you want to or not, you will all sing. (laughs) 
Thank you. It's on the right. standing. I can't think of a better song to sing on the 4th of July, and sometimes we forget that we have convention over the 4th of July, but it's all about what ACB is about, independence and opportunity. So here on the 4th of July, to lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance are a few of our, our J.P. Morgan ACB Leadership Fellows, um, Deb Cook, Yay. Debbie Dethridge, Deanne Noriega, I mean, excuse me, Deanne Elliott from my own state, and I get her name wrong, <laughs> and Kim Hebert from Louisiana. So ladies, step forward and lead us in the pledge. Straight up this way. Thanks, Kim. All right, you get the mic. You were first. Oh, my. Hey, hey, hey. All right. Are we all here? We're Okay. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Woo! Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Now we're sitting, I think. All right. Uh, thank you. You may be seated. You're going to help to help me remember that. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right. All right. There's a few items of business, and I'm going to do a little juggling because our parliamentarian tells me something that makes perfectly good sense. Um, I have adoption of the standing rules on the agenda, and then I have the final credentials report, which is to determine who can vote afterwards. Seems like that isn't exactly the right order to have things in. So I am going to recognize Ray Campbell to call affiliates that were not present yesterday to determine if they are here and represented 
and to give us the final credentials report. Uh, oh, there it is. Beautiful. Good morning, ACB, and happy Independence Day. For our wonderful... Yeah. Yeah, I get this up a little higher because I'm a little taller. Okay. What I'm going to do this morning is uh, there were several... Affil- uh, let's have order, please. Thank you. What I'm going to do this morning is call several affiliates that did not answer the roll last evening. Um, before I do that, I need to make one announcement. Uh, Friends and Art has advised me that their alternate delegate is different than what was presented at the roll call last evening. Their alternate delegate is Don Horn. So that's been announced to me. Um, if there are any other delegate changes, I will just remind you that I need those by the by 10.45 this morning, the end of the first break, because I'll be taking that information to the communication center. Uh, so please, if you have to make changes, please, as best as possible, get them to me by that time. Okay. Okay, so first of all, let me call the affiliates that did not answer the roll last night. Um, and if they do not answer this morning, they will not be called the remainder of this convention. ACB of Colorado, two votes. I'll call three times each one. ACB of Colorado, two votes. And for a third and final time, ACB of Colorado, two votes. Colorado will not be called the remainder of this convention. Okay, delete them. Let's move to the next one we have here. Hold on. My find command in there. Okay. Okay, next one is, uh, i got to hit the escape key on that. Okay, Nevada Council of the Blind, five votes. Nevada Council of the Blind, five votes. And for a third and final time, Nevada Council of the Blind, five votes. Nevada will not be called the remainder of this convention. Okay, delete them. Next one, um, New Jersey Council of the Blind, Five or three votes. New Jersey Council of the Blind, three votes. For a third and final time, New Jersey Council of the Blind, three votes. New Jersey will not be called the remainder of this. Up. Up. Hold on. What what was said out there? No game. <laughs> it, uh, I didn't. Pro- okay, so New, Jer- New Jersey will not be called the remainder of this uh, convention. Okay, down, delete that. Okay, my next one is. Um, hold on. The next one is Vermont. Let me get their vote count here. And. Okay, Vermont Council of the Blind, three votes. Vermont Council of the Blind, three votes. And for a third and final time, Vermont Council of the Blind, three votes. You know what I'm going to say. Vermont will not be called the remainder of this convention. Okay. And I think we have one more. Okay. And right here it is. Virginia Association of the Blind. Uh, Let me get your vote number. Uh, One vote. Virginia Association of the Blind, one vote. For a third and final time, Virginia Association of the Blind, one vote. Virginia will not be called the remainder of this convention. Okay, those are the affiliates that did not answer the roll call last night. I do have one affiliate that, um, if I can get my machine to cooperate here, there we go. Okay, we have 
Um, okay, here it is. Okay, last evening, the American Association of Blind Teachers indicated that they needed to, they, they gave me a nominating committee representative, but they did not identify a delegate or alternate. American Association of Blind Teachers, have you identified a delegate and alternate? If so, please move to a microphone and provide that information. Teachers? American Association of Blind Teachers. Um, okay, I'm going to. I'm going to. We, you all know how this works, and we know that we're supposed to have this information. So, the only one is uh, that you gave us his nomination. So, um, provide one to me as soon as possible. Um, but you've known since June 1st you needed to do this. So. Yeah, I'm not one, but um, I, I, I don't mean to be that hard, but hey, everybody knows how this works. Thank you. And uh, that would be all of the... Should I just go ahead with the credentials report yes. then? Okay, that's all the affiliates that I need to hear from. Let me move now to giving the uh, finals credentials report. Okay, here it is. Okay. <clears throat> Last night, I reported to you that we had one affiliate, the Oklahoma Council of the Blind, that we needed to um, assess a one-vote penalty to. We've done that. They have chosen not to appeal. So therefore, on behalf of the Credentials Committee, I move that the affiliate votes verified by the Secretary last evening, together with any amendments thereto and those ACB members currently registered and and certified shall constitute the voting body for ACB business sessions. Motions, motions been made and seconded to accept the final report of the Credentials Committee. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? Thank you very, thank you very much. Thank you very much, folks. And thank you, Ray, for taking on the responsibility of um, kind of leading the committee in the absence of Gene well, Mann. Well, I'm we doing the best I can to fill Gene's shoes. Gene, I hope you're listening out there. And George Holiday, you too. I hope you're both listening out there this morning. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now we will back up and take a look at the adoption of our standing rules and the program. The standing rules are published in the program document. They are the rules that we follow regarding debates and, and operations. No changes were made from last year's standing rules. Is there a motion to adopt the standing rules? Thank you. A motion's been made and seconded to adopt the standing rules. Does that include and the program? Or would that be a separate? It includes the program. Thank you. All those in favor say aye. Opposed? Thank you. All right. Now I will back up a little more and recognize Marjorie Beeman to share with us information about our sponsors for this convention. Marjorie, thank you for all of your hard work, fantastic work on getting sponsors for ACB. Thank you, Kim. Good morning, everyone. I just want to make sure everybody's awake. Before I read the um, regular sponsors for the total convention, I have other sponsors I want to read also. 
And that will be our titanium sponsors. And it's never too late to be a titanium sponsor. I have three this morning. I'm going to read those. Richard Bird, Douglas Lawton, and Fred Shugart. And those are $500. The next are our platinum sponsors, and that's $250. And those are Vicki Prawn, Norma Graves, Dennis Amadon, Steve Dresser, John McCain, Elizabeth Betsy Doan, Marjorie Beeman, Frank Ventura, Nina Kagan, and Charles Nabaretti. Those are the ones that are the <laughs> platinum. It's never too late to be one of those sponsors. Okay, now I'm going to read our regular sponsors, starting at the double diamond sponsor, which is the 25000 We have Google, and Google is our crown jewel sponsor for everything. Banda Pharmaceutical, and they're sponsoring our ACB banquet and also did the walk. And at the banquet, you will also have a place favor. So that's Banda Pharmaceutical, and that is a double diamond sponsor. (laughs) Emerald Sponsors, which is 15,000. We have DQ Systems. They sponsor Die Dog Services and International Culture Exchange Day. <laughs> J.P. Morgan Chase and Company, you've heard of the many other sponsors they've done. They're also one of our Emerald sponsors. And theirs is your day at the conference on July the 8th. Microsoft is conference registration. Sprint, conference volunteer services, and afternoon ACB radio broadcast. Uber, audio visual services. Verizon information desk, and the Decade of Dreams auction. Those were all Emerald sponsors. Now I'm going to the Ruby sponsors, which is 10,000. We have Adobe, and that's the convention program. Comcast, ACB exhibit hall. Facebook, interpreter services, deaf blind. Humanware, ACB Radio, general session broadcast, and they donated items also for the auction. Then we have Regal Cinema. It's Kids Explorer Club. Under our Onyx sponsors, which is 5,000, we have AT&T, and they sponsored the ACB Cafe. Buell Fund Recreation Zone. Charter Communications Performing Arts Showcase. National Association of Broadcasters ACB Marketplace. 
National Industries for the Blind Scholarship Winners Reception and One General Session. BFO Freedom Scientific Oplic Exhibit Hall Guide. That's all the 5,000. Now we're going to Topaz, which is 2,500. We have ACB Lines, and they sponsored the scholarship winners travel. <laughs> Coral Sponsors, 2,000. We have Bomb USA, and they sponsored ACB Future Leaders and Outstanding Blind Students. Laney Feingold of Law Offices of Laney Feingold and Linda Dadarian and Megan Ryan of Goldstein, Borgen and Dadarian and Ho did the audio describe film night. <laughs> Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America, scholarship winners, dinner and luncheon. Now for the Pearl sponsors. We're not over yet. Those are the 1,000. Caption Mac, ACB Cafe Day, July the 6th. Be sure and look for your dollar off in your bag. <laughs> Discover Technologies, ACB Cafe, July the 5th. Don't forget to look for that in the bag. Hymns, ACB Cafe Day, July the 3rd. I saw some of you with those yesterday. Then we have the Lighthouse for the Blind, Seattle. It's the high-tech workshop. <laughs> Library Users of America, NLS Talking Book Narrator. <laughs> Maxi Aids, ACB Cafe, July the 4th. That's today. So if you have your coupon, you get a dollar off. At the moment, I, my, I had projected to raise $200,000, but today I'm at $239,500, and that's not counting at all. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you. Thank you, Marjorie. What a great job you did. This is fantastic. So thank you. All right. I wanted to let all of you know that we have a parliamentarian for ACB, and her name is Alicia Matson Purcell, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. Um, this week, once again, Alicia Matson Purcell will be our parliamentarian. Alicia is a, co a professional registered parliamentarian which is the highest level of certification granted by the National Association of Parliamentarians. That means she has passed two levels of written exams, as well as, there goes my phone again. I had this happen to me a couple days ago. <laughs> what not to do when you're presiding. Leave your phone on. <laughs> Sorry. Um, as a third peer review course in which other highly experienced parliamentarians tested her to make sure she could perform the skills in live situations. She has held this certification for eight years and puts her skills to use for other organizations like ours. 
Alicia has worked with ACB for the past two years. She was with us in Las Vegas and in Dallas, and she's back again this year to help um, guide our organization parliamentary. So thank you, Alicia, for being with us once again. <laughs> All right. Is Lisa Largesse in the room? All right. Could you come forward? <laughs> thank you. All right. I, um, I want to recognize... Um, Lisa Largesse, who is the Outreach Coordinator for Minnesota State Services for the Blind, to welcome ACB to Minneapolis and the state of Minnesota. Welcome, Lisa, and thank you. Okay. Good morning, ACB. Happy 4th of July, and welcome to Minnesota. We are so glad that you are here. I bring you greetings on behalf of the Director of State Services for the Blind, Carol Panko, and indeed on behalf of our whole agency, we welcome you to Minnesota. Um, we are glad to have you in our state we have a long history of working with um, consumer organizations like the American Council of the Blind, and we're proud of that partnership. A um, couple quick words about State Services for the Blind of Minnesota. We're the <coughs> uh, vocational rehabilitation agency, among other things, for uh, Minnesota. Um, and we have a long history here in our state. One of our founding directors... Um, a man named C. Stanley Potter went to the Minnesota Academy of the Blind here in Minnesota and graduated in 1916. And, uh, and when Minnesota celebrated its 150th anniversary, he was named one of the 150 most influential Minnesotans, so we're very proud of that. Another man, Charles Shaw, was a senator from Minnesota, and uh, he was a user of an early uh, cigarette lighter, and he, uh, he, it exploded in his face. He lost his eyesight, uh, remained a senator from Minnesota, and uh, apparently he was kind of a hard guy to get along with, but nonetheless, he uh, helped to uh, do the early drafts of what became the Randolph Shepard Act, so we're very proud of that, too. Um, we have uh, a communication center that does Braille, large print, audio, and uh, we have the first radio reading service uh, in the country, started here in 1969. We'll be celebrating 50 years very soon. Um, so, again, come by and talk to us. We're at booth 48. We have, uh, let's see, a few things, uh, M&Ms. Uh, we also celebrate Minnesota with some recipes in Braille and large print. Rhubarb, uh, wild rice, blueberries, things like that. So come, come over and check them out. We're so glad you're here. We hope you have a wonderful stay. We, um, we're glad there isn't any snow, but we're sorry about the road construction. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. 
All right. I guess uh, Minnesota and Minneapolis more particularly take um, big sporting events very seriously. So you all probably know that they are the host of the 2018 Super Bowl. And that's why we're benefiting from all this wonderful construction. They're getting ready. Too bad the folks in Rio didn't take heed of that and plan as well. Um, (laughs) So I want to say a good morning to the listeners on ACB Radio. We're glad to have you with us. I also want to remind all of you to check your name badge to make sure you have a dot. And we'll remind you periodically throughout the week to check the card in the pocket and you'll feel a dot um, on your tag. That means the counters, the counters will be able to Look at a glance and see that you are a certified member. If there's any discrepancy, you don't have a dot, and you should, you need to go to the registration office in Lakeshore and speak to someone there who can remedy the situation. All right, so we will announce that periodically throughout the convention to give everyone a chance to get ready for Friday's elections, so or any other votes that may need an individual standing vote count. All right, I think this is the time that I always look forward to because I get to hand the podium over to someone else for a few minutes. (laughs) And today, our presiding officer is Mr. Jeff Tom, ACB's first vice president from Sacramento, California. Thank you, Jeff. Good morning, good morning. I'm thankful for many things. This, this year, at least I can hear up here on the stage. Last year, I couldn't hear a thing, because so, my ears were totally plugged up. So that's really helpful. Um, and I'm also thankful that this is the 4th of July, and we live in a country that, you know, despite all that we know has to be done and continue uh, to work on so that blind people can live, Uh, with equal opportunities. We live in a country that we can be thankful gives us so many more opportunities than in so many other countries in the world. So we definitely need to be thankful for that. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Can our awards chairs... Um, make their way to the front. It's now time for that. So if we can have the awards chairs both for the publications awards and, of course, first for the um, other awards to come up. And we will uh, we'll wait with bated breath. Door. I guess I heard that loud and clear. 
I don't know if we're ready for door prizes yet. Oh, yes. Ah, okay. We are going. We hear you loud and clear. Catalina Martinez is Miss Door Prize for this year. So let's hear it for Catalina, who does so much great work in the Minnesota office. Catalina, do you are you ready? Do you want to, she is, do you want to take this mic or do you have one over there? You just come over and step over and take my place. In fact, I may just have Catalina take my place for the next three hours. Got it. Go ahead. You're up. Good, mor- good morning. Good morning, Minnesota. My name is Catalina and I live in Minneapolis and my cohort, Juliet Silvers, will be working with me. Juliet? What is the first prize? Okay. We have $25 prize from ACB of Wisconsin. Okay. I am. Oh, there it is. Okay, sorry. And the winner is... The very first prize for 2016 from Minnesota, where our bird is the mosquito. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maureen Hennigan from Illinois. Is she not here? Oh, bummer. I'll take it then. I'll oh. Take it. Let's try it again. Yolanda Phelan, Hawaii. Are you here? Stand up. Do jumping jacks. Let us know where you are. Do we have runners? Do we want another one? Do we want to wait? Thank you. Good. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Okay. When you want to turn me on there? Okay. There we go. All right. So, um, it gives me great pleasure to introduce um, uh, first for uh, some awards to fine, fine person. Persons, people. <laughs> um, one of them who I've known for quite a number of years, a really incredible guy from Joplin, Missouri, Chip Haley. And another, the other, the other co chair of our awards committee was one of the, really one of the first people I met um, on the national scene and who once lived in my fair city, Rochelle Hart. So take it away, guys. Let's have some awards. Good morning. And what a happy morning it is. Among so many happy people. 
Chell and I would, uh, first of all, like to thank our Madam President, Kim Charlson, for allowing us to co-chair the ACB Awards Committee. And we'd also like to thank each and every one who submitted nominations this year. And we would strongly encourage you to submit other nominations. Just please remember that they are national recognized awards. But we do encourage each and every one of you to submit a nomination that you feel strongly about. Before we draw our attention to the awards that we wish to present this morning, I'd like to take a quick moment and recognize our committee. Janet Dickelman, Minnesota. Peter Altschul, Missouri. Ann Brash, Illinois. Judy Jackson, Michigan. Gene Mann, New York. And of course, Chell Hart, South Dakota. Along with myself, Chip Haley, Missouri. And here to do the honors in presenting this year's awards, we have several that we wish to present. And here to do the honors, Chell Hart. Good morning, and happy Independence Day to everyone. We have a few um, awards that we want to present this morning. The first ones are the Affiliate Growth Awards, which are based on the greatest increase in membership as determined by the 2015-2016 membership reports. And the first one that I would like to present is for the greatest percentage um, in growth, and this one will be presented to ACB government employees with 175% increase. Yes, yes, she is. Yeah. And accepting um, for, uh, for the government employees will be their president, Renee Zellickson. Renee, are you? Okay. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much. It's great to be back. Last year, um, as you might recall, uh, we didn't have a, we weren't seated on the floor. And it was wonderful to be able to bring the membership back, to be able to have a vote. 
and renewed commitment and ideas that we will be bringing forward regarding 504, 508. And I'd like to thank John McCann and Pat Sheehan for their mentorship and that I hope to be able to continue to build my leadership skills. Thank you so much. And the plaque shows the ACB logo, and it says, American Council of the Blind Affiliate Growth Award presented to ACB government employees in recognition of the largest percentage of membership increase in 2016, July 4th, 2016, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Congratulations, Renee and, and government employees. All right, I have one more affiliate award to present. And this one goes to the largest number of new members. And this year it's being presented to the Council of Citizens with Low Vision, Inc., with 49 new members. Wow. <laughs> and... I believe accepting for CCLVI is Charlie Glazer, president of the affiliate. Are you here, Charlie? Here? He was supposed to be. He told me you would be. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure he's here. Is there someone, there's someone else vice from president? first vice president? Somebody else from CCLVI to accept? Okay. I'm not sure Robert's who is Bangler. it. Oh, Robert Spangler. Okay. All right. Secretary. He's secretary? He's the secretary. Okay. <laughs> well, he's on his way up. Let me read what the plaque says. It shows the logo. It says American Council of the Blind Affiliate Growth Award presented to Council of Citizens with Low Vision International in recognition of the largest increase in number of members in 2016. Uh, July 4th, 2016, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Congratulations, Robert Spangler and CCLVI. Robert? Yes, thank you. Do you want to say anything? Just, you want to say anything? I don't know what to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just, Just thank you. Okay. I'd like to thank everyone. <clears throat> uh, it's great. The organizations, each of us can grow like this. Thank you. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, let me see, where, there's that mic. I keep losing that mic, but I found it again. Um, I am very pleased to be able to present this next award. I also want to um, thank our president and others for allowing me to co-chair the awards committee this year. I enjoy working with Chip and with the rest of the members on our committee. This year, we would like to present the Robert S. Bray Award. And this is given to a person or an organization that has made a contribution for improving library technology or communication devices. It may also be awarded for expanding access for blind people or making opportunities within the mainstream media. 
And here we go. This company has built accessibility tools that open up the world to the visually impaired. Few people who are blind or visually impaired can say that they have been taken advantage of either voiceover Zoom on the iOS platform. The company's CEO takes our issue personally. Accessibility mission in a 2013 speech at Auburn University. People with disabilities, quote, are, frequent, are frequently left in the shadows of technological advancements that are a source of empowerment and attainment for others. Our engineers push back against this unacceptable reality. This company sees accessibility as a basic human right. And the ACB Awards Committee is very proud this year to present the Robert S. Bray Award to Apple Inc. and Sarah Harlinger. is Senior Manager of Global Accessibility Policy and Initiatives for Apple Inc. And she is here to accept the award and I will let her step up here to say a few words. A few words definitely. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll do pictures after yeah, yeah, she okay. speaks. Wait, and I'm not thank you. Yeah. Have to read with them. Hi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> On behalf of Apple, I'd like to thank the American Council of the Blind for bestowing upon us the Robert S. Bray Award. Apple was founded with the mission of changing lives with the products we make. Nowhere do we consider that more than in the accessibility work that we do. In fact, accessibility is one of our core corporate values and has been a part of Apple's DNA from our earliest days. We see accessibility as a basic human right, and so all of our products are inclusive by design. We believe that technology has the power to help people to be more productive, creative, collaborative, engaged, empowered, and independent. And we believe that can help people to live out their dreams. For example, Luis Perez, who is breaking stereotypes as a blind photographer using his iPhone and the voiceover compatibility of its camera to create and share enchanting photos with the world. Because of individuals like Luis, it is our priority to support creative passions and abilities in whatever way we can. Also, I'm excited for the possibilities and opportunities ahead for students who are blind or low vision, living in a world where technology can break down barriers and help them to never reach a point where they have to forego their dreams because of vision loss. A world where they are empowered with tools like iPhones with voiceover, Zoom, digital braille displays, digital braille support, and an entire ecosystem of products that are accessible to them. I think of Layla, who just completed kindergarten and is already reading at a first grade level thanks to iPad, a braille display, and a, 
and a wonderful teacher and supportive parents who encourage her natural curiosity to learn. We built the world's first full-featured screen reader directly into an operating system in the Mac, made the first touchscreen accessible with iPhone, and brought you the first accessible consumer wearable with Apple Watch. All built to be set up out of the box without sighted assistance. We build foundational assistive technology into all of our products, from Macs to iPhones to iPads to Apple TV to Apple Watch, innovating in groundbreaking ways. Year after year, we work to improve upon that foundation to make our products more accessible to the widest range of users that we can. But we know there is still more work to be done. We continue that legacy of accessibility, accessible design as we head into the fall. We've been hard at work on a range of new features, from a new magnifier in iOS, to Siri on the Mac, to Taptic Time on the Apple Watch, and we can't wait to share them with the world. We will continue to innovate in this important space. Blind students who want to learn to code will be able to do so using our new Swift Playgrounds. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks to our incredible engineering team who are working hard to make it accessible when it becomes available this fall. And we don't just stop with our technology. We work to, ex- to support accessibility across the Apple ecosystem, including providing hundreds of the top movies and iTunes with audio descriptions, And, as of June, a new accessibility inspector to help third-party developers make apps more accessible from the start. (laughs) Integral to Apple's process is the continued support and feedback we receive from individuals in the blind community and incredible organizations like the American Council of the Blind. ACB has always been a great influencer of positive change to increase the independence, security, equality of opportunity, and quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people, and we are thankful for their belief in Apple to assist in this mission. I also want to thank the incredible team of engineers and employees across Apple for their work and dedication to pushing the boundaries to create features and solutions that enrich lives and help make our products accessible to everyone. We are committed to accessibility for the communities we support and, in many cases, are a part of. And a special thank you to our leadership at Apple, who make accessibility a priority from the very top of the company. Therefore, it is a great honor to accept this award, recognizing the work we have done in this area. And I thank you all very much. And if I could, I'd like to read what it says on the plaque. It shows the logo, the ACB logo, and it says Robert S. Bray Award presented to Apple Inc. and Sarah Harlinger in recognition 
of their visionary and steadfast commitment to powerful, affordable, accessible assistive devices that will serve blind Americans throughout the 21st century. July 4th, 2016, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Congratulations, Apple Inc. and Sarah Harlinger. One of the individuals that I failed to mention had a slight brain freeze there, apparently, but I'd like to give a great big shout-out for Sharon Lovering from the ACB National Office for her great contribution to working with us on the ACB Awards Committee. tell you that uh, not more than uh, one minute before we gave that tremendous award to Apple, I had to make sure my uh, iPhone voiceover was turned off so that I wouldn't accidentally... uh, (laughs) So, um, we next, I'm next going to introduce to you for some publications committee awards, the esteemed chair of our publications committee, from Lacey, Washington, Denise Colley. Good morning, and thank you, Jeff, for that warm welcome. Before I announce the winners of our awards, I would like to take this opportunity to... um, reintroduce and thank the other esteemed members of the ACB Board of Publications, because without them, my job would be really difficult. (laughs) Um, They are Ron Brooks, Tom Mitchell, Doug Powell, and Judy Wilkinson. The Board of Publications administers three national uh, Writing Communication Awards, the Ned E. Freeman Writing Award, the Vernon Henley Media Award, and the Hollis K. Liggett Braille Free Press Award. And this morning, we are going to award two of those awards. The first is the Hollis K. Liggett Braille Free Press Award. This award is intended to promote best journalistic practices and excellence in writing in publications of ACB's state and special interest affiliates. All periodicals of ACB affiliates distributed no less than semi-annually are eligible, and nominations must be submitted by the affiliate's newsletter editor or their president. And the criteria we use for judging the submissions are the number of contributing writers in a single issue, the variety of information presented in each issue, how well the publication portrays the affiliate, and the quality of writing throughout the publication, 
and the overall layout and presentation of the publication. It gives me great pleasure to introduce this year's winner of the Hollis K. Liggett Braille Free Press Award is the PCB Advocate, the quarterly publication of the ACB of Pennsylvania. Accepting the award for PCB is Michael Zakin, PCB treasurer. So if Michael can be making his way up here. Oh, he's, he's really on top of things. Um, Michael will be saying a few words, and then um, we have a little um, recording to play from President Sue Lichtenfels. Thank you, Denise. Really appreciate it, you and the Board of Publications and also all of you in ACB. Now we'll turn to have the recorded message played from our Pennsylvania Council of Blind President, Sue Lickenfels. Good morning, ACB and my fellow PCB members. I am Sue Lickenfels, President of the Pennsylvania Council of the and Content Editor of the PCB Advocate. I took over editorship of the PCB Advocate five years ago following our long-term editor, June Horst. In June's last year as editor, she and the publication were honored with the Hollis Liggett Free Press Award. It's been my goal to follow in those award-winning footsteps. I thank the ACB Board of Publications for recognizing the commitment and talent that go into every issue of the PCB Advocate. I am so very proud to have an award-winning team working with me to make the PCB Advocate the best affiliate publication in the country. I am grateful for the dedicated work of Christina Heitzelman, our Administrative Secretary and Copy Editor, Carol Swartz, our Layout Editor for the large print version, Tony Swartz for his audio editing and daisy formatting of our cartridge version. The Carnegie Library for the Blind and Physically Handicapped for getting our newsletter out on cartridge. And Horizons for the Blind, provider of our Braille format. I owe special thanks to Jeanette Schmoyer, my go-to grammar guru. The real stars of our award-winning team, though, are the members and leaders of PCB who provide such interesting and informative content every quarter. Congratulations, team. We are the best. And the, and the plaque reads, American Council of the Blind, Hollis K. Liggett Braille Free Press Award, presented to Sue Lichtenfeltz and the Pennsylvania Council of the Blind for Affiliate Newsletter Excellence, July 4th, 2016, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I'd like to present the plaque to you, Michael. Thank you. Congratulations. Yes, thank you very much.
The second award that we are going to present this morning is the Vernon Henley Media Award. This award is presented to an organization, a company, or individual, either sighted or blind, who has made a positive difference in the press, whether in radio, television, electronic media, magazines, or daily newspapers, which may change public attitudes to recognize the capabilities of people who are blind rather than focusing on outdated stereotypes and misconceptions. Programs and or articles written and produced specifically for a visually impaired audience as well as those intended for the general public are also eligible. And a variety of media are eligible for nomination for this award. Um, and examples include television or radio programs, commercials or public service announcements, videos, articles from magazines, newspapers, newsletters, posters, or any other new or emerging media service. The winner of this year's Vernon Henley Media Award could not be with us this morning, but I'd like to announce that the winner is ACB of Texas member Larry Johnson. And accepting the award for Larry is going to be ACB of Texas President Kenneth Semyon. And um, I just would like to say that <clears throat> Larry is receiving this award. Um, he, uh, <clears throat> he recently published volume two of his collection of columns entitled, And That's How I See It. And this award is being presented to him for his article entitled, Preparing for a Sightless Future which was printed in the San Antonio Express News on December 19, 2015. <clears throat> His articles appear twice monthly in this newspaper, and in addition to this very broad public circulation in print and via the Internet of the articles, they are also placed on Facebook and sent out via email. And the article talked about how lucky he was already being a senior citizen, as a lot of us are, and already being blind, and the challenges that seniors face today who both lose their vision later in life and um, become seniors. <clears throat> and it talks about the challenges, the inconveniences, and the limitations that getting older and losing vision presents. And we also have a short um, audio file from Larry, if we could play that at this time. First of all, I want to say that I truly regret not being able to be with you in person there in Minneapolis this week. It's a great city, Minneapolis. I remember my first visit to Minneapolis. It was to attend a Ski for Light event in February 1975. On our arrival, we were greeted by then Senator Hubert Humphrey, who extended to us a very warm welcome. A good thing he did. The temperature outside that day was eight degrees Fahrenheit. Yes, it's much better to visit in July. 
It is truly amazing that after so many years of effort, so many outstanding examples of accomplishments by talented visually impaired individuals, so many hundreds of articles, books, and public service announcements telling our story to sighted audiences about who we are, how we live, and what we can do, that there still exists so many myths, misconceptions, and prejudices. The need for education continues every day. Every encounter with a sighted person is an opportunity for us to inform and to educate. Over the course of my 80 plus years, I have been asked, as I'm sure you have, hundreds of questions about my blindness. Some of them embarrassingly trivial, like how do you brush your teeth, feed yourself, tie your shoes, and yet, if I believe the person asking these questions is sincere, I feel it is my responsibility to take the time to patiently explain. Because, who knows, they may know someone who is blind who has not yet mastered these simple tasks. For the past four years, it has been my good fortune that the San Antonio Express News newspaper has given me a platform to speak out on these and other issues. And through my column, and that's how I see it, it has been my hope and my mission to help reshape the attitudes and the thinking of the sighted public, to recognize the capabilities of people who are blind rather than focusing on outdated stereotypes and misconceptions. I am deeply humbled and profoundly honored to be chosen to receive the Vernon M. Henley Media Award once again. Thank you. Thank you all. He uh, is very prolific. <laughs> Ken, are you here? Would you like to say a few words? Larry uses his writing ability on a continuous basis to educate, inform, and promote positive change. And he is one that should be honored and revered, uh, still working hard and advocating for all of us to be able to have equal access and live the best quality of life possible. I am honored to be able to, to receive this award on Larry's behalf today. Thank you. The plaque reads, American Council of the Blind, Vernon Henley Media Award, presented to Larry Johnson for his well-crafted article to the general public on adapting to vision loss and recognizing the capabilities of people who are blind. July 4th, 2016, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And Larry, if you're listening, congratulations. Now, the third award that we usually present is the Ned E. Freeman Excellence in Writing Award. 
However, we're not doing that this morning. If you want to know who is being honored with that prestigious award, you have to come to the banquet. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm sorry, Denise. Okay, so we were we will move on pretty quickly. Thank you, Denise for those incredible awards. And again, let's hear a, a general shout out to all the wonderful awardees. Um, is it? Oh yeah, yes, that's right. John, go ahead. Thank you. On behalf of your Constitution and Bylaws Committee, I want to report that at this time, we have received four proposals. They will be given first readings uh, beginning tomorrow and on following days as needed. I also want to remind you that the deadline for submitting proposed amendments to the Constitution and Bylaws expires at midnight tonight. Uh, there being, at the moment, no Constitution and Bylaw amendments that the committee has not reviewed and, and taken action upon, uh, we will not meet this afternoon at 4.15 as scheduled, uh, but I encourage uh, all of you and, and members of the Constitution and Bylaws Committee in particular to keep note because I will have to make an, an announcement tomorrow morning as to whether there have been any additional proposals received, and we'd schedule a we will hold the scheduled meeting on Tuesday if that happens. Um, copies of the amendments are on their way to the information desk, perhaps are already there, and we will also make arrangements to have them um, in a downloadable format for those who would prefer to access them that way. Uh, thank you. Thank you, John. Okay. So I'm going to ask a very tough question. I'm going to give you a very simple, easy answer. How in the world would you replace a living legend when that living legend, Carl Augusto, was the uh, former CEO and president of the American Foundation for the Blind? Well, the answer, as I say, is very simple. You replace him with an equally impressive individual whom we are going to hear from today. A little more than a month ago, Kirk Adams became the sixth president and CEO of the American Foundation for the Blind. Kirk grew up in the Northwest. He graduated magna cum laude with a BA in economics and has a master's in nonprofit leadership. And in between all his other activities is working toward his doctorate. He's worked in the nonprofit arena for approximately three decades, highlighted most recently by his work as the CEO of the Seattle Lighthouse for the Blind. Under his leadership, the Lighthouse now has 11 locations around the country, employs more than 300 individuals, well over half of whom have a vision impairment and many of whom are deafblind as well. Employment of persons who are blind or who have low vision at all levels of an organization is a mantra for Kirk. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to you the sixth president and CEO 
and one of us, a blind person himself, Kirk Adams. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for serving on the AFB Board of Trustees as well. Um, just thank you for the opportunity to uh, tell you a little bit about myself and about AFB. Uh, I also want to get to know all of you, so please feel free to connect with me, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, email me, call me. Uh, there's so much wisdom and experience and good thinking in this room um, that we want to uh, tap into as we move forward as an organization. So last night, I got to see firsthand what ACB is all about. I was there for the introduction of the DKM first-timers and the J.P. Morgan Chase, Chase Leadership Fellows and got to hear all those individuals speak and it was just a, such a beautiful example of blind people empowering other blind people. And AFB and ACB have a long history of working together to do that, to empower blind people, to improve the lives of other blind people. And I, uh, I very much look forward to deepening and strengthening our relationship I will tell you a little bit about myself, a little bit about my transition to AFB, and uh, some thoughts on the future of AFB. So, so for me, my, uh, my retinas detached when I was five. I lost all my sight in a very short period of time. Uh, lived in the Seattle area. My family moved us to Oregon so I could attend the Oregon State School for the Blind, where I... Uh, a very cool middle school girl who is now Kim Charlson was uh, a student there. Um, I learned blindness skills. I learned Braille. I learned to travel with a white cane. I learned how to type on a typewriter. I learned the abacus for some reason. Not quite. <laughs> um, still have it. Um, so, um, started in public school in fourth grade, um, Silverton, Oregon, small, small rural town. I was the only blind student in my classes from fourth grade uh, on now into to graduate school. So, um, thinking back upon that and the, the fact that my blindness skills that I learned so painstakingly at OSB have served me so well through the rest of my academic and professional career. I, I'm particularly passionate about the work ACB and AFB are doing together on the Cogswell-Macy Act because our blind kids are not getting those blindness skills taught to them the way they should, and we need to take care of that. So in 1979, I went off to college, Whitman College in Walla Walla, Washington. It is a real place, not just from Bugs Bunny cartoons. Um, I took notes in my lectures with the Slayton stylus. I recopied, I recopied them at night on the Perkins, and uh, I think my junior year, I got the IBM Selectric with the erase tape, and that was uh, that was pretty high tech. So. 
you know, I, I, I got my econ textbooks on tape from RFB and D. I used readers. Um, gosh, 15 years later, I went to graduate school, uh, 1997 at Seattle U to get my master's in not-for-profit leadership. And you know, I told them I would only enroll in the program if they can make everything accessible. So they hired two work-study students. They scanned every page of every textbook and embossed it. So uh, a great step forward in accessibility. And now I'm, I'm in a doctoral slowly and painfully inching my way toward a PhD in leadership and change. So I'm a doctoral candidate through Antioch University. And everything's electronic. It's not perfect. Um, there's glitches, especially in kind of the group discussion formats, but basically I can get all the book chapters and articles in an accessible format now. So not, not perfect, but light years ahead of where things were um, when I started public school way back when. And uh, many of those advances are due to the hard work of AFB and ACB. Um, when I graduated from college, I had good academic credentials. Jeff mentioned a few. I, w I was a Phi Beta Kappa. I had a cum laude. I had a four point in my major in economics. And I could not um, find a job as a blind young college graduate, as many of us have experienced. So I went through the whole questions of you know, disclose or not disclose. I started out not disclosing. So I, at that time, I was typing my cover letters and resumes and sending them off and getting a phone interview and then walking in with my cane and my uh, slate and stylus and feeling the confusion uh, <laughs> settle over the room uh, as the person across the desk wondered how I would be able to, to do the job I was applying for. So um, then I decided to disclose and I wrote in my cover letter that I was blind, here's how I achieved what I had achieved, here's how I'd, I would do the job. Um, didn't matter, just the same, same results. Um, so so I, I also have a very strong passion for creating level playing fields in the area of employment for people who are blind. I look forward to working with you on that. So I took the job I could get because I wanted to get married and I wanted to have kids and I wanted to have a house. So I took a job as a, a securities broker selling tax-free municipal bonds over the phone, uh, 50 cold calls a day every day. I did that for 10 years and uh, turned 30 and decided I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. So I, uh, I checked the What Color Is Your Parachute book out of the Talking Book and Braille Library. And I, I followed every page and every instruction, and I wrote the little essays about, you know, what did you like most about first grade, uh, what was your worst job, and why did you hate it. I did all that. And at the end, it said that I should be in the nonprofit sector, I should be in management, I should uh, be with an agency serving people who are blind, and it should be in Seattle. So... <laughs> Um, next question was how to start on cracking into one of those areas. So I, I talked to some people in the nonprofit sector, told them my story, and I got some strong encouragement to enter the nonprofit sector through fundraising, that there was a real need for professional fundraising in the field and that my 
Um, ten years of talking to wealthy people about money would uh, lend itself well to that. So I started applying for fundraising jobs. I w- was not getting them because I didn't have experience. But I got a um, newsletter from the Talking Book and Braille Library, and it said that they needed to raise $200,000 or cancel the Evergreen radio reading service. So I called the head librarian, Jan Ames, and I told her what I just told you all. And I said, how about I come down there uh, 20 hours a week and try to help you raise this money, that'll give me something to put on my resume, and I'll job hunt the rest of the time. So um, got a book on tape on how to write a grant proposal from RFB&D, and I wrote a couple, and beginner's luck, a few sizable checks came back, and um, a position was created for me. So my first nonprofit job was a development officer for the uh, Seattle Public Library Foundation to raise money for the State Talking Book and Braille Library, and that was 1993. So I did that for three or four years. That's when I decided the nonprofit sector was where I wanted to be. That's when I went back to graduate school and got, got my master's. And um, a couple years after that, I got a call from the Lighthouse for the Blind because their board had decided they needed to create a comprehensive fundraising program, and they'd heard there, there's a blind guy in town who knows how to do that. So they called me. I went in for a tour. I saw some really interesting things going on, uh, especially around aerospace machining and blind people making aircraft parts, which was pretty exciting. And I thought it was a good fit for me. So I, uh, I stepped in. I became the development director at the Lighthouse. I um, built the fundraising program. I um, started a supporting foundation uh, with a separate board of trustees, which is um, very successful in raising money for mission-related expense. Uh, about five years in, I was asked if I would take on more responsibility. I became what was called general manager of administration, which HR actually reported to me. Glenn McCauley reported to me for a brief shining moment. Uh, but I became CEO in 2008 and really launched into a strategic plan Um, a really comprehensive, about a 15-month process where we got lots of stakeholder input and we had the council and the federation and the school for the blind and the library and other nonprofits and all of our employees give us input into answering the question, where can the lighthouse have the greatest value for people who are blind in our community? And the answer came back... um, Jobs. So create more jobs, wider variety of jobs, pay better. Don't worry about blind kids. Don't worry about senior citizens. Don't worry about recreation. Just focus on employment. So we did that, and we established our five strategies. We had very good success um, on some measures. Uh, When we adopted the plan, there were about 150 blind employees in the organization. Uh, Now there's 260 or so. Um, blind people in management was a, a scant percent. Uh, now it's a quarter. Um, 
We expanded into 11 locations, as Jeff mentioned, the kind of the crown jewels, the Inland Northwest Lighthouse in Spokane, Washington, which we opened. And right before I left, we purchased a building and opened a facility near Charleston, South Carolina, to support the Boeing company there. So my trans transition to AFB from the Lighthouse, um, as I told my beloved and sainted wife, I would not ask you to move from Seattle to New York for just any job. Um, so I've known about AFB since I was a child. You know, my parents ordered stuff from AFB, toys and games, and when the AFB box came, it was a great day. Um, I went to my first AFB leadership conference, 2002, I believe, in Washington, D.C. I met Mark. Reichert there and Paul Schrader and Carl and um, it meant so much to me personally and professionally I have not missed a AFB leadership conference since I've been to all that all that have been had and I was happy that the Lighthouse co-sponsored a leadership conference in Seattle several years ago uh, Carl asked me to join the program committee six or seven years ago and then I joined the board of trustees about three years ago so I, I know AFB well and long, and uh, my decision um, to put my name forward was really based on what I saw as an opportunity um, to bring my skills to bear and my experience to bear on helping uh, chart AFB's course into the future, uh, to grow AFB's capacity to serve as a force for positive change in the lives of blind people in America. Uh, to serve blind people who are uh, on a national scale. With AFB, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me. Um, you know, when I read the job posting as a board member, I said, that's me. Um, what AFB said they needed is what I think I can, I can bring to the table. It matches up really well with uh, my education and my professional experience and my life experience. So um, the first line of the job description is to lead a strategic planning process. We'll begin that in the fall and we'll really take that step back and ask ourselves the, the big question. You know, given AFB's history, our brand, our relationships, our financial and staff resources, you know, where can we deliver the greatest value long-term? Where can we have the most influence long-term in leveling the playing field for people who are blind? And we'll be calling on ACB's leadership to give your thoughts on uh, how we should answer that question. Uh, I look, look forward to continuing the close and productive relationship that AFB and ACB have enjoyed through the years. Um, do hit me up on Facebook or LinkedIn. We'll see you next year in Reno. Have a great convention, and thanks for having me. Okay, let's let's give one more hand and a big thank you and a shout out to Kirk Adams. Thank you, Kirk. We'll see you next year. Okay, two items before we go to break. <clears throat> and then right after break, there'll be a door prize, so get here quickly.
Okay, uh, before we turn, before I turn it over to the RDC committee, I want to take a, a point of personal privilege for a moment. Um, later in the week, you're going to be hearing from um, the great committee chair, Dan Spoon, and his folks, and, of course, Joel Snyder, our leader, um, with the audio description program. Um, and, but, but part of what they do in that program... Um, this is the second year they've done it under one of um, Dan's committee members, Aegis Susan Glass from California, is to have a mentorship program where um, individuals from members from ACB are, are paired up with um, uh, individuals that attend the Audio Description Program Institute to learn more about being describers. Some are true longtime veterans and some are newer. And I have with me on the stage today two people with whom I have been paired up, mentees, and I want to introduce them, not to, not to say anything, but just to give them, give you a chance to um, give them a shout out because they are representatives of the larger group. Um, my mentees, although I'm learning more from them than they are from me, are um, Ms. Valerie Hunter from Toronto, Canada, and Ms. Amy Ott from San Francisco, California. And let's hear it for these wonderful ladies. And thanks to them and thanks to all of those who take the time to come to Minneapolis and learn more about their craft. That's truly wonderful. And we owe them so much. Yes, yeah, go ahead and give them another round of applause. Okay, RDC folks, are you in a mic to give some announcements before we go on break? We need to... My mic's not... Oh, Dan's hey. minions. Uh, Mr. Chair, Dan Dillon here. Okay, go ahead, Dan. Uh, kind of a dumb question. Would anybody like to win $5,000? Listen, we're, we're selling ACB raffle tickets again. Uh, you can win $5,000, second place $1,000, third place $500. Up to five people can go in together and purchase a $50 ticket. And the drawing will be at the banquet. You can purchase these tickets from an RDC uh, committee member at registration or at the uh, mini mark. Thank you, Jeff. The mini mall. Okay. I'm sorry, Get mini your mall. Tickets. Mini Okay, next. We have, yeah, is that Cindy? Donna? Yes, the uh, ACB Diabetics in Action is auctioning a, okay. an Afghan that I am making, and uh, the tickets are $1 each or six for five. Call D in 3122 if you're interested in purchasing a ticket or more. Thank okay, you. Thank, thank you, Donna. We're not going to recognize any other announcements except for the RDC. Thank you very much, Donna. Um, Dan Spoon, are you there? There's no mics on. So the mics. We. Hello. Ah, thank there you. you go. All right. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, thank you, Dan Dillon, for recognizing the raffle. I would also like to take a moment for, to talk to you about the Monthly Monetary Support Program, MMS. There will be a booth uh, next to the ACB Mini Mall where you can register to increase your MMS donation. Guys, we are so close to hitting that $100,000 level. We need 
20 people to step up and donate 20 to $25 a month on average to make that happen. I so strongly encourage you, if your heart is willing and your wallet is able, <laughs> to stop by and see Mike Godino and the team in the, next to the ACB Mini Mall and increase your pledge. For everybody that increases their pledge by $5 or joins new for $10 a month, we will be having a daily giveaway for anybody that joins for $140 worth of gift cards and a PCB cookbook. In addition, George Holiday has donated an iPad mini that will be raffled off at the end of the convention for one lucky that increases their membership. Believe it or not, the first winner from, from last night's drawing was George Holiday. <laughs> Since he couldn't be here today, he has donated that $140 prize to be given out. So we'll give two prizes on Friday. And so I thank him so much for that. And I now want to turn it over to Cindy Van Winkle to talk about the auction. And I'm at a microphone, but it's not on. Oh, there it is. Hello. All right. How many of you are planning to go to the auction on Wednesday night? The Decade of Dreams auction. It is happens to be the 10th anniversary of this auction. We hope you'll be in the North Star Ballroom on the second floor. And you'll want to come early. Six o'clock is when you can start checking out all of the items. But if you want to look at a list in advance, you can download it at the information desk. We will have Braille and large print uh, lists on the tables when you come into the room. There will be food available. There's lots of incredible items, trips, jewelry, technology, lots of yummy, delicious food. Uh, and so much more. So make your plans. Be at the auction. It is a lot of fun. If you've never been and you don't even plan to buy, still come anyway because it's a great deal of fun. Thank you so much. Hope to see you there. All right. Thank Thank you, you, Cindy. The auction is wonderful, I have to say. Okay. So we are now on break until 10.15. Be back promptly or you will miss a door prize. And we have a great lineup of speakers. Thank you. Okay, we are on break. That means we're going to hear from another sponsor. And this one is Humanware. I'll be interviewing Greg Stilson. Hello, this is Larry Trumbull with ACB Radio, and welcome to the 2016 convention in Minneapolis, Minnesota. With me is Greg Stilson with Humanware, and we have uh, plenty to talk about with the new Braille Touch, and let's uh, say hello to Greg. Hey, Greg. Hey, Larry. Thanks for having me on again. It's great to be on ACB Radio. Yeah, great to have you always. Excellent. So what do we got with this uh, new uh, device that's just been released? Yeah, well, actually, the timing is good. We uh, literally last week uh, started shipping our first Braille Note Touch units. So the Braille Note Touch is, um, for for those of you who don't or haven't heard about it, it's it's really what what I'm calling the the next class of what people traditionally call the note taker. Um, The the Braille Note Touch is a 
a Google certified Braille tablet. And a lot of people ask me, well, what does Google certified mean? What is, what is that? The, the big deal here is that the Braille Note Touch is the first accessibility device that's ever been certified by Google. And what that means is that the users of the Braille Note Touch can access all the same applications that are available to any tablet on the Google Play Store. So when when I say Google certified, Google has something like 25,000 automated tests that a manufacturer has to pass to allow their device to be on the Google Play Store. And what that means is that you, Larry, could buy a Braille Note Touch tomorrow and go to the Google Play Store and download any of the one point whatever million applications that are on there. And that's really where this device really sets itself apart from any assistive technology tool that's been out there today or up to today is that um, you're able to use your traditional note taker commands, your your Braille note functions, your your, your all the efficiency things that the Braille Note has done for years and, and that the Braille Note comes with its own apps, you know, things like Keyword, Keymail, that have been all souped up for the 21st century. Um, and you use a lot of the same uh, efficiency things like first letter navigation in, in our apps or in third-party apps. But if you do want to download an accessible app from the Google Play Store, you can do that because the device is Google certified. And that's really where... Our goal with this product is to bring together the best of both worlds, the mainstream and assistive technology. And sort of what kind of brought us to the thinking about this was that myself, I'm a blind individual. I, I use touch screens and things like that all the time. But one of the things that we noticed was that when blind people are using their their phones or their, their tablets and things like that, the the devices are designed to be accessible for everyone. And what that means is that I can physically touch an item on the screen and it will read to me what it is. They're meant to be efficient by sighted people. So uh, that's a very clean dis distinction here. We have techniques with, with uh, the screen readers and things that come on these mainstream devices, but they're really meant to be efficient by the sighted population. They're meant to be accessible by blind people. And so what we wanted to do is design a product that was both accessible and efficient for the the blind population and so that's really where this device gives you a touch screen if you want to use it otherwise it has a physical keyboard and you can do all of the same uh, braille commands and and accessibility efficiency tools that you've used for many many years like first letter navigation or the the shortcut keys and things like that um, but you can do and uh, you can use them on the touchscreen itself. So we developed the technology actually to be able to type Braille naturally um, on the glass of the Braille Note Touch. So it physically looks like uh, your typical Braille Note, but where you would typically have keys behind the Braille display. Um, and that's a, a key component here is that it is an all-in-one device. So you don't have to mess with two separate devices or Bluetooth pairings of devices to tablets and things like that it's all in one device and right behind the braille display is a glass surface that you can type braille on or you can use your traditional swipe and double tap um, gestures that that you're familiar with with um, tablets and smartphones and things like that so um, touch braille is really the most efficient way that a blind person has ever had to interact with a touch screen so um, and as i said we 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 designed all of the keysoft apps from the ground up uh, so things like our word processor, which now operates strictly in a Microsoft 
word format. So you don't have to do any kind of conversion of Braille files to Word anymore. Um, you're always just writing perfect contracted Braille or uncontracted Braille in a Microsoft Word document. So you're able to do a lot of the uh, really powerful formatting stuff there too. So um, like I said, we really wanted to kind of bring together this marriage of mainstream and assistive technology into one device. And that device ended up being the Braille Note Touch. Great. That's really sounds exciting. Does this device uh, have uh, speech capability as well as the Braille display? It does. Yep. So you can use speech output. Um, you can turn the speech output off. One of the really the nice benefits of touch Braille, which is the typing on the glass, is that you don't ever hear the physical clicking of keys. So you can turn your speech off, just have the Braille running, and you can be typing your notes in your classroom or in your meeting or writing a paper or whatever. And it's totally silent. And that's really what's really awesome is that sighted people, you know, sighted classmates or colleagues can write with a pencil and paper completely silently. Well, we now as blind people have the ability to not really stand out in the middle of a classroom anymore and, and do the click clack of keys and stuff like that. But as I said, the, the Braille Note Touch does come with a carrying case with a keyboard attached to it. And you can flip that down right on top of the screen and use it just like your traditional braille note taker that you've used for the past you know 16 years oh wonderful and i'm assuming that uh, with all the previous uh, software that you've had on the previous devices uh, you can do uh, streaming with this as well yeah yeah and it's it's even more than that now now you can do streaming but i mean i i can download so many different apps for streaming so for example i can download podcast apps i could download um, you know, we've, we've got YouTube on the device, so if you want to just quick watch a YouTube video, you can do that. Um, every week, we're doing um, a snapshot tutorial where we're releasing uh, basically a five-minute video of some of the really cool things you can do with the Braille Note Touch. Like this week, we just did one on showing just how easy it is to access YouTube. You don't have to, you know, one of the things I find myself doing on my phone all the time is swiping right about a thousand times until I find what I'm looking for. And uh, the nice thing with the Braille Note Touch is that you can type the first letter of on, on YouTube. For example, if, I, if I'm looking for the search box and I have no idea where the search box is located on the screen, rather than running my finger all over the screen or swiping right a hundred times, I can just type S and it'll jump straight to search. Oh, that definitely will save some time. <laughs> yeah, yep. especially with apps that you're not familiar with. If you, if you just know kind of what you're looking for and you say okay well somewhere on the screen's got to be a search button or a done button or a send button you can you can type the first letter and jump right there oh great so i guess everybody will really be looking forward to seeing this device you'll be featuring it at the convention right absolutely yep yep so it will it'll be we'll have uh, some braille note touches there you'll be able to try out touch braille and just see how natural it is we've got a lot of positive feedback uh on touch braille um, basically when you type touch braille you lay 10 fingers on the screen you get a quick vibration from the device and then you just start typing as if there were really keys there and what's really cool about touch braille is that it follows your fingers you don't need to hit keys virtual keys anywhere on the screen you just type naturally where you believe the braille key should be and uh it'll it'll follow your fingers so it not only you know i identifies your fingers but identifies which fingers they are and that's what's really remarkable about touch braille we uh this is patent pending technology that we uh we developed from the ground up so you'll be able to play with that um we'll have some really cool apps uh on the device that you'll be able to see um it does have an hdmi port so that if there is we, we do have anybody with vision we can plug into a large monitor and you can just see what's going on on the screen as well 
With regard to the other devices, you'll see a pattern. One of the things I want to talk about is for our low vision users. Um, the product's called the Prodigy Connect. And you'll see sort of a pattern here because one of the things that we're starting to do is really try to, as I said, marry the best of both worlds. And that's really what I think we've done with the Prodigy Connect as well is the Prodigy Connect has the Prodigy software inside of it. And it's basically it's a, a tablet that sits into a stand and allows you to use it as a, a, a low vision magnifier, so a portable CCTV. But if you want to you know, leave the Prodigy application, which allows you to put a piece of paper underneath it, you can magnify it in live mode in real time to read what you're looking at, or you can use the Prodigy's embedded optical character recognition, so I can hit the scan and read button, and it just starts reading to you, which is really cool there. But when I'm done with it, and let's say I want to go take the Prodigy um, uh, stuff that I read and move it to Dropbox, or if you sent me an email, Larry, and I want to read the email, I can actually leave the Prodigy software, open up an email, and magnify that and actually see it. So it's really this best of both worlds. We're taking the efficiency of reading in a low-vision magnifier that's designed for low-vision people um, combined with the openness of a, a, an Android tablet. So this is really, uh, you know, an, an Android, I think it's a 12-inch tablet that you're using. So um, it's, it's sort of this combination of the two technologies. And I think that that's really what our users of today are expecting is that we don't want a device that's just doing one thing. We want something that is easy for me to use that does a whole bunch of things. And so that's really where... Uh, where I think Humanware, you're going to start seeing a lot of our focus being put. You can contact uh, Humanware at www.humanware.com. Um, you can contact our customer service at info at humanware.com or our, customer, or our tech support at support at humanware.com. And, of course, our phone number is 800-722-3393. Thank you for being a uh... sponsor for the 2016 ACB convention. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This is Larry Turnbull with ACB Radio. Okay, everyone. Take your seats. Take your seats. Um, do Catalina and crew, do we have... Are you ready for a door prize? I think that was a yes. Are you ready for with a door prize? Okay. If you don't have a mic, then come down and take this one. Yeah, she is. While we're waiting for, while we're getting the door prize, Ray, do you want to make your announcement? Are you up here, Ray? Oh. Ray's mic is off too. Okay. Go ahead, right here. Be quiet or you will not hear. Good morning. We have a $25 cash from ACB of Wisconsin. And is Andrea Tom here from California? She is not. Let me go get another name. my daughter. She will be here. What? Hold on a second. My daughter wasn't here yet. Too bad for her. But she will be. (laughs) 
They just picked the wrong Tom, didn't they? Okay. How about Mary Woodyard in California? Mary Woodyard. Are you here? Mary Woodyard from California. If you're here, raise your hand, scream. Okay, one second. Maybe she's with my daughter in Orange County. Who knows? <laughs> How about Patrick Heshean? Yeah. He better be. From, mini, uh, from Maryland. Are you here? Patrick Scream, are you here? All right, congratulations. Come on up. Here is three from Arizona gift cards. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, Ray, uh, you want to get to a mic? Thank you. Um, and then Mike Godino, you'll be on after that. Okay, um, let's have some order, folks. Um, Okay, just uh, need to announce one delegate change. Um, Alabama Council of the Blind is going to send Gilly Presley to the nominating committee. They have made that change. Now, before I take all this information to the communication center, I'm going to ask one more time. Are there any other delegate changes that need to be announced at this time? If there are, please get to microphones and announce those. I'll give you some time to do that. Uh, we know about the teachers' uh, situation. Have the teachers resolved that situation yet? Have you come up with a de- delegate or alternate? I'm taking that as a no. You will need to let me know at some point during the week uh, who that is. Um, any, are there any other delegate changes? One more time. Are there any other changes that affiliates need to make as far as delegates, alternates, or nominating folks? Okay, I will, we will take that as uh, this is the information that will be taken to the communication center. Thank you very much. Okay. Mike. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mike Cadino, nominating chair. Tonight we are going to uh, have a nominations meeting, and that meeting is going to take place at 545 in the Mirage Room. So if you don't know where it is, those nominating folks need to be up there at 544 because at 545, I put the thugs on the door and uh, we're not going to open it anymore until we're done. We have a lot of work to do tonight, so please get there early and ready to work. 545 in the Mirage Room. Thank you, everybody. All right. Thank you, Mike. Be ready and be on time. Okay. I'm... Really excited, as I suspect you all are, for our international speaker. We're going to stick to the northwestern part of the continent again for that. Mr. Charles Mossop now is retired from a 42-year career as a post-secondary educator, administrator, and private consultant in international development. 
he spent some of his early life in Britain, but he's now lived for quite a long time on Vancouver Island on Canada's west coast. Partially sighted since the age of 19 due to star guards, he enjoys hobbies such as gardening, playing the piano, and classical guitar when he isn't writing. A lifelong lover of mystery and adventure stories, Charles began his career as a professional writer in 2004. He, and uh, using his background as a social scientist and historian, he's published a number of short stories, numerous articles on historical fiction, and three novels, all of which I want to read as soon as I can. <laughs> I just haven't had time, but they sound incredible. Um, but Charles has done far more than that. He has recently completed a um, six-year term as a member of the National Board of Directors of the Canadian National Institute of the Blind, CNIB, and he continues uh, uh, as a member of the Divisional and Regional Boards for CNIB. In addition, he currently serves as an advisor on governance to the Canadian Council of the, uh, of the Canadian Council of the Blind. And on the international stage, he is president of the North American Caribbean region of the World Blind Union. As an officer of the WBU, he travels the world to attend meetings and conferences aimed at improving the lives of persons who are blind or partially sighted wherever they may live. He is also active as a motivational speaker, a purpose he finds especially and rewarding. And I give you now, and let's give a very warm welcome to Mr. Charles Massop. Thank you so much. And thank you for that very kind and generous introduction. Madam President, delegates, it's a great privilege and an honor for me to be here. I love the spirit that's in this room. Unity of purpose is the strength that we have. So let's recognize that now. Put your hands together for the shared intent and purpose. And it's a particular pleasure to be here on the 4th of July, Independence Day. So from your neighbors to the north, Happy Birthday, America. Yeah. You know, Canada had its birthday last Friday, but we're only 149. Uh, we're uh, a long way behind you. And uh, when we received our independence in 1867, we did it with a good deal less flourish than, uh, than you did. Um, our parliament, uh, such as it was con constituted in those days, uh, uh, contacted London, uh, which was the seat of our government up until then, and said, well, we've had enough of this, if it's all the same to you. Um, we would very much like to make our own decisions. Uh, and the British Parliament said, meh, okay. <laughs> and so uh, the British North America Act was passed, and Canada got its own independent parliament and was allowed to make its own decisions up to a point 
insofar as all the laws that were uh, promulgated by the Canadian Parliament had to go back to London for approval by Her Majesty the Queen, Victoria, in those days. Uh, Canada was assured that she would never turn down anything that we requested. So Canada said, "Eh, okay. (laughs) And with that, it was done. Now, of course, in your case, it was far more dramatic, far more fun, and has provided a lot more fodder for historians such as myself, particularly interested in uh, the British attitude to the fact that their redcoats had to march in a line while your Minutemen were allowed to hide behind the trees and shoot at them. (laughs) The British considered this to be considerably unsporting. But nevertheless, by George, it was effective. (laughs) Anyway, how perfect is it to be able to talk to you today on independence? Independence Day in which we can celebrate the independence that we have won over the years, although we still have a long way to go. But nevertheless, independence is what we seek, is it not? It is not simply uh, independence in a narrow sense. We're looking at it in terms of its broadest possible implications. We're looking for the independence to participate fully in the social, political, economic, and cultural lives of our communities, to travel freely, to be employed, and thereby obtain for ourselves and retain for ourselves the dignity and sense of self-worth that independence truly brings. At the age of 18, I was faced with what I considered to be certainly the loss of my independence, I had been living in England for some time and was preparing to come back to, 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 to come to Canada uh, for uh, my university career. And one day, when I was looking out of my bedroom window to see if it was snowing in the dead of winter, uh, I looked in the streetlight to see if I could see any snow falling which is what I had done up to that time, having 20-20 vision, and never thinking about a time that there, I might not have. And I looked in the light, and I couldn't see any snow. And I thought, oh, good. That means I don't have to get the early bus to work. But then as I glanced away, the snow appeared. Looked back at the light, no snow. Looked away from the light, And there was the snow. So I thought, oh, that's bizarre. (laughs) How strange. However, that was the beginning, the earliest onset of what was later to be diagnosed as Stargardt's disease. Over the course of my lifetime, and I will be 72 in September, I am incredibly old. I, uh, my sight has declined uh, over time. When I was diagnosed, they told me to leave university. They said, you should get the kind of training you need for the kind of job you're going to be able to do, but you probably won't be able to work for any more than about 10 years, uh, and then, you know, you will be on social assistance as a disabled person. 
Well, I've got news for them. It didn't work out quite that way. Many organizations came to my rescue, the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, the Canadian Council of the Blind. Technology came along, which nobody dreamed of in those days, and so on and so forth. And I have been able to have a rewarding and wonderful career and move on to do many things uh, that I very much enjoy uh, doing now. But independence is something that we seek, as I say, but independence is a right, and a right is a need which is enshrined in law, and we need to claim that right, but rights differ and perceptions of independence differ. Some years ago, though quite a few years ago now, uh, when I was on a business trip in Asia, I was at a stage of still being able to travel independently, but at certain airports, I couldn't see the gate numbers because they were too small. And I was in Hong Kong, which was one such airport before they built the new one, um, in which I'm completely unable to travel independently because it's so huge. And I uh, saw coming towards me an employee of an airline of which I was a Gold Club member. So I flashed my gold card and I said, excuse me, can you tell me please how to get to the gate for the flight to Singapore? And she said, I'm afraid I don't know, sir, but if you go and look at the display, um, uh, the, the, you can find out there. It wasn't a video display in those days. It was a horrible, great mechanical thing uh, that went clank, 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 bang, 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 and all the names changed and everything. You couldn't keep up with the confounded thing anyway. Um, so, um, there I was. I said, no, uh, I, I won't be able to do that because I can't see it. And she said, then, sir, probably you shouldn't be traveling. And, um, well, you can say to yourself, well, I will look at, I mean, uh, that was a long time ago and it was a, in a, uh, a particular culture which does not share, perhaps, our uh, value structure. But uh, a friend of mine is just returned from a month holiday in a certain southern European country. And she was frequently told to go away, to go home. Several people said, you frighten me, I'm afraid of you. And she would ask for help and people would just say, no, I'm not prepared to help you, please go away. Now... That was not everybody, right? Let's put that into perspective. But she did hear that from a surprising number of people. So that you can tell that even though the perception of rights differ and the perceptions of independence differ, uh, this is a very real problem. And I can get more precise than that. Uh, a year ago, uh, I was in China representing the World Blind Union uh, in a sidebar conference on disability uh, associated with the Asia-Pacific Economic Council, APEC. And uh, I met there a woman who was completely blind, and uh, her husband had walked out on her uh, upon her, her becoming blind. And about a month or so after he did that, he disappeared, she discovered she was pregnant. 
She gave birth to what she described as the most beautiful baby daughter in the whole world. Wait for it. <laughs> and she cherished and adored that child for one month until the state police came knocking at her door and told her that she was blind and she couldn't raise a child and she knows nothing of her daughter now. So she was denied the fundamental right to independently raise and nurture and cherish her own child. In Tibet, annexed by China in 1950, and don't get me started on that, please, uh, you risk being beaten or even killed if you're seen outside with a white cane. Blind people in Tibet have to be extraordinarily careful if they go out, and of course, most of the time, they don't dare. But if they do go out, they cannot give the appearance of being blind. They go out with somebody who is fully sighted or siblings or parents or, or uh, some group of individuals uh, with whom uh, or amongst whom they can, um, they can sort of melt uh, into, uh, in, into oblivion so that they won't be seen. In Tanzania, in southeastern Africa, the situation is horrendous for individuals who are partially sighted as a result of albinism. They're hunted down and killed because of tribal beliefs that if their body parts are made into a certain concoction and the concoction is taken, yeah, sorry, but that's the way it is, that this will lead to increased chances for greater prosperity. Now, the WBU and other foundations are working with the Tanzanian government to try and stamp these things out, and we're working with the Chinese government uh, to try and solve the situation in Tibet, and the uh, Chinese Federation of Disabled People is working with the Chinese government to try and overcome these differing perceptions of what is right, what is their right, and what is in the true independence. But here, when we advocate, we advocate on the basis of rights. We don't request people to understand. We can claim the rights which are actually ours. But rights and independence don't vary simply as a result of technology, and there have been tremendous advantages in technology. We all use these. It's the way uh, we get along in life these days, most of us. But the biggest problem is to change the perceptions and beliefs, the attitudes and ideas of the sighted population. That's the biggest challenge we face. And as we go forward to do that, we have to do it with great persistence, as, as, as you know. And in this room and in this organization, there is an enormous amount of experience, skills, and competence in advocacy and the advocation of uh, the rights that, that we possess. I started looking at these issues way back in, uh, in university. Uh, 
when my sight started to fail. I looked around for the things that could help me. And uh, I, I, I did all right, but I, I didn't have a great deal of support in, in those days. This was the, the early to mid-60s, and things were not then what they, they are now. But I did all right. Actually, in, in Canada, we don't use the, uh, the designations that you use often here, uh, such as cum laude and uh, magna cum laude. Uh, I simply graduated, thank you, laude. And... Uh, <laughs> But then I did manage to attend graduate school and had a career in post-secondary education. And all during the time that that was going on, things were changing in technology, uh, but I also could see very clearly that there was uh, a, a great need to change public opinion, change people's attitude, change people's concept of what is social justice, and give us the just rights that we have one so far, even though we still have a long way to go. So I wouldn't presume to advise anybody here on how to do that, but what I thought I would do is just very quickly share the three principles that I have used and found effective in the uh, work that I do. First, I believe that I must advocate without anger, but with great assertiveness. Second, I must correct without criticism, but with absolute conviction. And thirdly, I must persuade with patience, but without pressure. So, if you think about the first one, advocating without anger, you think after all these years we were entitled to be a bit angry, and I'm not really recommending that the next time somebody tells you to get a move on or asks what you think you're doing there or says this, some blind person's holding us up at the front. You know, I'm not suggesting that you sick your guide dog on them. <laughs> Nor am I suggesting that you set about them with your white cane. But by God, I've been tempted sometimes. <laughs> Aggression is not really a solution. Aggression is a short-term solution. Mahatma Gandhi said that aggression breeds aggression, and aggression justifies repression. So we assert ourselves. I try to assert myself as strongly as I can, as capably as I can, without being aggressive, without pressing the wrong buttons, so to speak. Second... Correct without criticism, but with conviction. You know, there are um, uh, thousands of misconceptions out there. What am I telling you for? We all know it. All sorts of people just don't get it. Now, it's not because they're stupid or ignorant or anything like that. They don't think about these things. They don't, not everybody comes across, comes across people who are blind or partially sighted. They don't quite know what to do. I can give you a fine example of it. In Canada, we have, our major banks are all chartered nationally. We have no provincial or regional or small city banks or anything such as you have uh, down here in, in the States. Up north, we do things uh, somewhat differently, and we highly regulate uh, our banks. And um, I know from watching CNN that the question of regulation uh, is... 
quite a hot topic these days uh, as you proceed towards uh, an election, um, which is, I might say, uh, just as one single political comment, your election process is somewhat confusing. Anyway, uh, don't want to get, I don't want to get on, onto that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, one, we, we, had a, we had a campaign some years ago uh, advocating uh, our largest bank uh, and encouraging them to take a leadership role in installing accessible ATMs all over the country. And they said, okay, we, we will we'll do that. And, of course, they, were going, they, they, they consulted give them their due. They consulted with us. They talked about it. And uh, we thought they were doing quite a job on it. And they came to my hometown on Vancouver Island uh, for one of the tests. And so we got um, a friend, a um, gentleman who is completely blind, and he came down to, to undertake this test. And the press was there. The media were there. The videographers were there. It was a great occasion. The bank manager was standing there with an expression on his face like Moses coming down from the mountain. And he was clearly bringing the truth. And Stan was his name. Uh, Stan, uh, he, he found the jack for his earbuds. They'd done a good job of that. It was very tactile. He found that, plugged in the ear, his earbuds, put them in his ear. And a moment or two later, just a moment or two later, he took them out of his ear, unplugged the jack, turned to the bank manager and said, Useless. And the bank manager's jaw hit the floor with a resounding crash and tried to get the cameras to stop, but they're still turning away there. And this whole thing is being, it's being recorded. Pardon me, I'm just reliving it. It was <laughs> truly remarkable experience. Uh, anyway, long story short, as the saying goes, Stan explained to uh, an avid media that... The first thing that had happened when he plugged in, um, and, and we had said, look, we want the thing to start you know, a few seconds after the jack uh, is inserted so that you don't have to do anything to actually start the process. It will just start a, f- a few seconds after you, after you get plugged in. And that worked perfectly. He plugged in, put the earbuds in, listened, and a disembodied voice said, welcome to this accessible ATM. Let's get started. Please press the red button. (laughs) The rest of us fell about. (laughs) It, it, you know, it, you're really tempted to say, how... (laughs) What? <laughs> but, you know, it, it's a, it was a prime opportunity to criticize, and that's exactly what we didn't do. We continued to work with them, and the problem uh, is solved. We don't have enough of them yet, but they are spreading, and we're, we're very pleased uh, with the result. So, I try hard to correct, but not to be critical. Patience... Uh, persuasion with patience and persistence. Well, that, that gets difficult. You'd think after all these years, patience would have run out, and to some extent, it certainly has. 
but reminds me of the story of the two vultures sitting side by side, gaunt, emaciated birds sitting on the branch of a dead Joshua tree in the middle of the desert, and one is saying to the other, patience, hell, I'm going out and kill something. <laughs> and, <laughs> and sometimes you really do feel that you've just had it. How many times do you have to tell people these things? How many times do you hear can't, shouldn't, won't? Well, we need to say we can, we should, we shall, we will. We may be blind or partially sighted, but so what? We all have gifts and special things about us. Whether we play a musical instrument or not, all of us has our own song and our own music. And that's what we need to let people hear. Uh, and we can stand in the unity of purpose that I mentioned at the beginning as we stand up for our independence and for our rights. There's a legend from ancient Greece which talks about a king that had three sons, and his sons wanted the kingdom divided into three parts. And he gave each of his sons a long stick of wood, and he said, break it in the middle. And they all did that and didn't know quite what the old man was up to, but nevertheless, that's what they did. And then he said, put the two halves together and break them in half. And they did that. And then he said, now put the four pieces together and break those, and they couldn't. And the lesson is quite simply... That in unity, there is our strength. And organizations like the ACB and the other organizations that we know about and some of us work for, that group, that consensus, that power is ultimately unstoppable. And we know that if we persist, if we advocate, if we correct, if we persuade that eventually there will come that day that I mentioned right at the beginning, the day when we all will be able to participate fully and contribute to the social, cultural, economic, and political lives of our communities, to be employed, to travel, to possess the sense of dignity and self-worth that independence brings. So on this Independence Day, Let's celebrate not only the independence we have won, but the independence that is coming, a time when we'll be able to stand up in full equality, and none of us will ever again be asked to press the red button. It is indeed a great privilege for me to be here, and once again, I thank the ACB for their generosity in making it possible for me to be here and to speak to you. I've met old friends, and I've already made many new ones. I wish you the best for this conference and convention. Share your dreams, your wishes, your highest goals and aspirations, and let us go forward. Thank you all so much.
So for, for those of you who may want to have more opportunities to hear Charles speak, and I know I'm going to have at least one more, he's speaking at Multicultural Concerns Luncheon this afternoon, and he'll be at Lua on Wednesday afternoon. So we're thrilled to have him for several more days, and let's give one more shout out. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Charles. It, you know, I'm really fortunate to be up here to introduce three incredibly impressive blind people in a row. And the third one, I have a, a fairly lengthy um, biographical statement, but I'm not going to use much of it. Um, because we know Karen Kenninger. She is one of us. She is a user of services. And she is really uh, an advocate for us. For four years, she served as the director of the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped in the Library of Congress. And this is my third opportunity to introduce her to you. Uh, among her many accomplishments are the development of iOS and Android apps, expanding the number of titles available, uh, and, and enhancing BARD, uh, and and just doing everything she can to give us more options and more content. So to tell us more about developments and updates on what's going on at NLS, here is Karen Kenninger. Karen? my dog before he wanders off. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to be here. I was so sorry I wasn't able to be here last year. I'm so pleased to be here today. Um, this weekend, on my way to Minneapolis, I spent a couple of days with my kids. And one of the things that we were able to share was the Game of Thrones. Now, you either do like Game of Thrones or you don't, or you haven't read it, whatever, it doesn't really matter. But, but what mattered to me was that I got there on Friday night to my son's house in Winona, and he said, have you finished the newest season? And I said, no, I haven't finished it yet. He said, get downstairs, sit down, and finish it, because we've got to talk about it, and we can't tell you about it until you've read it, because you'll, we'll spoil it for you. So I, <laughs> I spent a few hours you know, finishing up the Game of Thrones. Now, the, the reason I tell you this is that the only reason, the only way that that show made any sense to me was because of described audio. <laughs> and because of described audio, which this organization has worked so hard to get more and more of, I was able not only to really enjoy, sit on the edge of my seat and wonder what was going to happen next and be shocked when it did, but I was also able to discuss with the kids the, these events and, and understand as well as they did what was going on. So thank you very much, ACB, for all of that work. Knowledge is power. Information is liberating. And education is the premise of progress. This is what Kofi Annan said. He's the former um, Secretary General of the United Nations, the Peace Prize winner. And we all know that it's true. Knowledge is power, and information is how we have that knowledge. So as the National Library Service moves forward, our role in providing information to you in one form or another continues to expand. 
and become more and more critical because we know that if we don't have access to the information, we cannot participate in work, we cannot participate in our families, we cannot participate in our communities, we wouldn't know what was going on with this fabulous election process that Mr. Mossop mentioned. <laughs> we would be in the dark, as it were. Now, back in the early days of, of the National Library Service, and, and before that I've been looking at material that's been provided to blind people back in the 1800s, for instance, and it was largely religious stuff, which was well and good, but only went so far, and some, some classics. We need access to literature, and we need access to information of all kinds. So the National Library Service, since you know, 1931, we've been providing access to literature. We've been providing access to information in the form of public library materials. And we continue to be a public library. But we cannot continue to be what we were in 1931. In fact, we can't continue to be what we were in 1981 or even 2005 or whatever because the world is changing so quickly. So NFB, NLS, pardon me, is <laughs> all these ends. The National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped, me, us, <laughs> we are working on several initiatives um, to expand access to knowledge for you all and for me. So I want to talk a little bit about some of those things and the approaches that we're taking. But before I get into all of that, let me talk just very briefly about our partnership with the, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing. As you know, um, because of the lawsuit that you enact, uh, initiated, there, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing is providing currency readers to everybody who wants them. And I just wanted to give you a very quick update on that. At, um, we at NLS have a group of people who are working on the nuts and bolts of that distribution and processing all of the um, applications and initiating the, the mailing of these things. We've sent out about 40,000, and that's basically what I wanted to tell you, is that we've sent out about 40,000 currency readers at this point. That's an, um, a form of access to information. We'd like to know what kind of money we have, yeah? <laughs> We'd like it to be something a little simpler and that they promise us will come and that's your issue and I don't want to get into it. <laughs> but um, anyway, we are working on that project right now. Technology keeps changing. And NLS is in the first generation, basically, maybe the second generation of our Braille program. You know, in 1931, we were getting book, books transcribed, and then we were sending them out to people through our network libraries. And that hasn't changed any. We are doing about 500 titles a year. We do about 30 magazines or so a year, and it's hard copy Braille, and it, it's very high-quality hard copy Braille, and that's a very good thing. I believe very strongly in Braille. So do these dogs. <laughs> and... And so I, I, I want to see NLS move forward in its Braille program. So there are a couple of things that we're doing, one of which is that we've re reintroduced tactiles to our Braille program. I believe that there are some things that the only way that you can really understand them is to see them. And, and so in some instances, some of the books that we provide, we are putting maps and other types of tactile drawings in there so that you can really understand what they're talking about, and I'm very proud of that fact. 
they had been missing for too long another thing that we are doing with our braille program and is kind of there are two two parts to the technology side of it and i think they're both extremely important one is that i believe that everyone who is a braille reader or should be a braille reader <laughs> should have access to a refreshable braille display so that you can read NLS materials in Braille, and so that if you pair it with another device, you can read any darn thing you want to in Braille. NLS is moving mountains, trying to anyway. That would be Congress. Um, <laughs> to, to get the, the uh, legislation change that actually authorizes our funding so that we will be able to spend money on refreshable Braille displays, refreshable Braille devices. We have a bill in Congress. Um, it is called the 2016 Library of Congress Modernization Act of 2016, I guess. And one of the sections in there is to... Um, change that legislation just enough so that we would be able to provide refreshable displays. As you are probably aware, the, the um, industry of refreshable Braille is changing, and with a, the debut of a, a device this last spring that would cost about $500 as opposed to, say, $4,000 or whatever, this becomes not yet a reality but a hope that we will be able to, through the National Library Program, do this. So we're hoping that this legislation will be passed, and once it is, we will begin the process of implementing refreshable Braille devices at the same level as our talking book machines are currently in the program. And they'll be available to people, everyone. Now, a second thing with regard to Braille that we're, we're working on is a new electronic format. Right now, what we have is a flat file. It's a BRF file. Those of you who use it understand what I'm talking about. You can't navigate it the way you can a talking book. But I think you should be able to. If you've got an electronic file, you ought to be able to jump to the chapters. You ought to be able to jump to bookmarks. You ought to be able to, to do all the things with a, braille, um, a refreshable Braille file that you can do with a talking book. And then maybe some more, like you could link the table of contents right to the to the beginning of the chapter and all those kinds of things. So we are working on a new eBraille format that will enable that kind of navigation in an NLS Braille book. It'll be based on EPUB 3, which just in the beginning stages of development, but I am hoping that in the next couple of years we'll be able to, in conjunction with a new eBraille reader, we'll, we'd be able to roll it out. And we'll probably initiate it in the apps to begin with. So those are the two major um, technical things that we're doing around Braille at this point. Um, another thing that we have been doing for the last, um, since 2009, it's taking a while, is to retire our cassette collection and our cassette machines. Now, some people, maybe you, some of you are some of those people, love our cassette machines. Uh, yeah, me either. <laughs> <laughs> 
but there are people who, who do want, who, you know, this conversion has been a little bit slow, and part of the reason is that a lot of the material that we have is still not available in the digital format, and we want to make sure that you can read everything that you want. There's series that started out, oh, in the, you know, earlier years that have continued that people want that are still on cassette and some of that. So the solution to that is to convert all of our cassette titles to digital format. So in order to do that, we have been, been putzing along, not putzing along, we've been doing about 6,000 a year, but you know, but we decided that we would just finish the job and get it over with. So we think that within, the, we've got about 13 or 14,000 titles left, and we figure that within another year, we'll be done. They'll all be digitized. Now, once they're digitized, that doesn't mean that we'll put them on cartridges per se. But what we will do is have them available on BARD, but not... I know that everyone here is not a BARD user. I understand that. I wish you all were, but I know there are reasons that you're not. Um, so if you know, you know, if there are titles that fit into this, that are uh, retro titles that you want, your network library can get them for you. Many of the network libraries are doing um, duplication on demand projects where they are, for, for patrons, they are making cartridges with books that pr people particularly want. Some of the libraries are doing, whole, like putting a whole series on a cartridge. There's different models out there. So many of the libraries are able to fulfill those requests directly for you. Some of the libraries are very small and don't have the staff to do that. And some of the um, the uh, regional or sub-regional libraries and that sort of thing. But they all have access to all of this material by asking for interlibrary loan through the multi-state centers. So essentially all this material is available to everyone. And if you have a, a desire for something, talk to your reader's advisors, they can get it for you. So I'm very pleased to tell you that there are 96, 5,000 or so titles on BARD right now. We're working our way up to 100,000. A game changer out there is the Marrakesh Treaty. Now, I thought Charles was going to tell you about this, but he didn't, so I will. <laughs> because on June 30th, Canada was the 20th country to ratify the Marrakesh Treaty. Hooray, Canada! So the, the countries who have ratified treaty or have ratified the treaty will, after Sept the end of September, actually on September 30th, it will go into force, and they will be able to exchange materials across borders without having to seek publisher permission. This will be a very, very important way of sharing material so there's less duplication of effort. This will be a very important way for some of the less developed countries to actually make some material available to their patrons or the people who live in those countries. This will not be a way for me to borrow Canadian books. And the reason is that the United States has not ratified, so we're not part of the group, so we can't do anything. So Canada and Australia, they're, they're in, but the U.S. is not. The United States has sent a 
package the president has sent a package to the congress to ratify the treaty and that was sent in september or i mean i'm sorry in february and to date i am unaware of any official action that has occurred the, the congress ha or the, the senate per se has to ratify the treaty it's going to if it gets if they get to it the package includes some some things that will be very helpful to our program as well for instance right now with the Chafee Amendment, we are able to transcribe anything that is not music and not dramatic works. But if, this, if they were to go forward with these changes, which would be required by the Marrakesh Treaty, we would actually not have those copyright restrictions on music and dramatic works. So that would be a simpler thing for the libraries to do, and we'd be able to make more of that kind of material available. So if you have an opportunity to advocate for the Marrakesh Treaty, and I'm sure you do, uh, go for it. <laughs> Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Charles. Um, let me see. <laughs> let me talk to you a little bit about BARD. We have been working on BARD as, as a very important aspect of our program, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But for today, you may have realized that we have set it up so that you can get a magazine subscription with BARD. So basically, you can sign up for the magazines that you like, and when the next issue comes available on BARD, you will get a notification that it is there if you want it. You can either have an email notification or not. And then you it will pop into your your um, your wish list so that it'll be right there for you to download if you want it um, so that's one of the things we've implemented we're working on doing the same kind of thing with a series so that when the next Game of Thrones finally comes in um, <laughs> I'll be able to get it I'll be, be notified about it um, the, we do have series added to BARD it's been a while but we've got series information in there now too which is, is very important for a lot of people um, the searching functions on BARD are adequate if you're really a skilled searcher but they're not ideal they're not Google you know Google really set the standard for searching and that makes life a little tricky for people like us who have to try to match it so um, we <laughs> but we are working on a much more robust search capability which we hope to deploy this fall on BARD one of the kind of hidden pieces of BARD that I always love to talk about is the music section because we think of the music section in BARD as you know stuff like oh I don't know um, Haydn and Beethoven piano scores and some of this pretty sophisticated stuff that some of you are really good at and I am really terrible at. Um, but there's other things there that are really kind of fun. And if you go and look at it or if you ask your, your network librarian to look at it, there are some things, or, or call the music section, but there's some fun things in there. For one, for one thing, we've got access to the Smithsonian Folkways collection, which has got hundreds of CDs. And what we've done with those is to put them into to NLS talking book format, but put the liner notes in with them so that you could actually listen to the music and know who was playing and, and all the details about it, or you can skip over that by pushing the right buttons if you don't want to hear it. But there's a lot of fun stuff on there, and my, I'm encouraging them to keep going because, because it's um, got some really interesting things. So check that out.
we also have a music blog which talks about a lot of the things that are in our collection and it's on the the library of congress website and it's updated every week and it's a lot of fun there's some good information for anybody who's got any interest at all in music whether you are talentless like me or have you know a great talent like that pianist that was playing during the break um okay so let's see the magazine program, just an update on that. Um, we are added 14 new magazines to the magazine program for everyone. We've added the AARP magazine and their bulletin also, um, O, um, which is pretty popular, and um, 10 other magazines that are locally produced that are, that are network qualified. So. Check that out. Ask your network librarians. There's a lot more material there. Our magazine program is kind of stabilized at about 40,000 people. I suspect but part of the reason there for the numbers is that people aren't as aware of the really cool things that are in that magazine program as they might be. So check that out if you're at all interested. We extended the loan, pro, uh, the loan time on the magazines, too. I know that was kind of an issue. Um, but we discovered that we, we can give longer loans. And another thing that's been an issue with the magazine program is the talking book topics because we have been, um, we had separated thinking it wasn't going to be a big deal and it turned out to be a big deal, separated the order form from the audio version. So starting in September, you will, if you are an audio talking book topic subscriber, you will get your audio talking book topics on, on cartridge inside a big envelope with the Talking Book Topics order form right there with it. You're welcome. <laughs> now, you will still have to send the cartridge back, and there'll be, it'll come inside the envelope inside of a, a mailing container. But you will have, it, it, we hope that will be helpful to everyone. We do listen to you. We heard these people saying, this does not work for me. And so it's okay, we've got to do something else. So that's what we've done. Um, the mobile apps are... Under, continually under under um, ongoing development. The iOS app was updated in June on June 3rd to version 1.1.1. Um, this <laughs> does it while while this version, according to my people, does not contain new user configuration stuff. It does eliminate some bugs and improve performance and complete compatibility with Apple's latest system, which was like 9, 10's coming out, so there will be issues again. But 1.1 um, was released in October, and the big thing that it added was your friendly sleep timer. <laughs> so, but another thing that was added is the ability to sideload into, into Bard Mobile the um, stuff from... The, like the APH magazines, which were a real problem. So if you're a Reader's Digest reader or some of those, you can now sideload those and read them in Bard Mobile if you prefer. Um, the Android app was updated on May 31st to version 1.0.3, and this adds the sleep timer, which, of course, is very important, and I use it every night. And um, it also adds support for Bluetooth and wired headphone controls and some other things. So if you're an Android user, be sure that you, you know, get, you get that and take a look at it. Um, we have an, what's called an API, which is an application programming interface. And this is what is used by BARD to talk to, BARD, to, to the website, to, to BARD Mobile, I mean. But it's also used by the Humanware Victor Stream and by the HIMSS um, hardware to access BARD. 
and Dolphin and Harjan are also adding features that are using um, this API. We've got several other partners who are, are looking at it and working on it. But what this will do is give you some more options if you don't want to use the NLS player, but you want access to BARD, um, this will give you more, more options for that. Now, BARD is really a really important part of the NLS program, but it has really been a frustration to some of you. Um, those of you who are using a computer, a PC, but find it really kind of difficult to figure out once you hit that download button, where in the world did my book go, and how in the heck do I get it from here to there once I find it? Um, this has been an ongoing problem and a, a heavy support burden for our network libraries. And we, event we within the last year or so, um, were approached by a person who is a programmer and his wife and son both are users of the NLS program and he said, why don't I build you a utility that would actually solve that problem? And we said, ah, okay. <laughs> and he did. And so it's in beta test now. It's called BART Express. It's a PC-based utility that will allow you to find your books on BART without using the BART interface per se. Um, and, and then you'll be able to click a button and they will go, with two steps, they will go onto your cartridge or your thumb drive without having to figure out how to unzip them and how to transfer them and all of that. So we are working on these kind of near-term things and it looks like I'm a little out of time, but I, I'm going to take a little privilege and give you a couple more minutes because what, where we are going is very important and I want you to know it. We are going to wireless delivery within the next five years. Now, what that means is that we will have a new talking book machine that will be wired or be connected either to a uh, the web, the internet, or to um, the the 4G or whatever it is, the cell cell system. How that will work, I do not have the answers. We are doing a lot of research, a lot of study, but the goal is wireless delivery directly to your machines, so that your network library can push them out to you. If that's what you want, and a lot of people do, just say, when I finish this one, I say, I'm done, and then you send me a new one. No more waiting in for the mail. No more, is this a red one or a blue one or a green one or a purple one or a pink one? Um, no more worrying about which one, which cartridge goes in which, which container, whether your, anything's, you know, whether your magazines are late. There won't be any deadlines on those anymore. All of this will come directly to your machine. If, if that's what you want set up. And you also were trying to figure out an interface so that you could actually order directly from your machine as well. So complete wireless delivery from both directions is our goal. And I'm hoping that within five years, we will have it ready. We've started the build out this year for the infrastructure that it's going to take to accommodate that. And I'm very excited to say that we're moving forward. I'm out of time. I will be at the Lua meeting this afternoon answering questions if you have any. Thanks. Thank you.
Awesome. That's all I got to say about that. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's hear that. Access to information is obviously as important as anything in our lives. And the Federal Communications Commission has an important part to play in so many areas of importance to us in all of our, all aspects of our daily lives, from television to telecommunications. I can go on and on. Today we have with us Mr. Elliot Greenwald. Elliot is an attorney in the Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau of the Federal Communications Commission, where he is Deputy Chief of the Disability Rights Office and Special Assistant to the Bureau Chief on Telecommunications Relay Service. He began his career as an attorney in the late 1970s and early 1980s in the old Common Carrier Bureau of the FCC. After spending many years at several law firms, Mr. Greenwald returned, uh, well, uh, where he first, where he provided pro bono legal services for telecommunications to the deaf and hard of hearing. He then returned to the commission in 2011 to work in the Disability Rights Office among other things, Mr. Greenwall has helped implement the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act of 2010, CBAA, of course. We are very pleased to hear today from Mr. Elliot Greenwald. Let's give him a hand. Thank you for having me here today, and happy Fourth of July to everyone. Um, I w want to thank um, Kim Charlson and Eric Bridges for inviting me to be here today. Um, and before I begin, I also want to mention that uh, three of my uh, colleagues from the FCC are here as attendees, um, Terry Pacheco, uh, Doug Slotin, and Scott Marshall. So um, I want to give all three of them a shout out. Um, and um, before I begin, I'll, I'll also just mention that the first part of this talk will be a repeat of what I talked about yesterday at the audio um, description conf you know, conference, but then I will move on to some other issues as well. Um, so for those of you who are at the audio description conference, if you were up late last night partying, you know, feel free to take a little nap for a few minutes. <laughs> All right. Um, so I'll start by mentioning that um, the CVAA, rather than using the term audio description, uses the term video description, although um, I'll use the term audio description since that seems to be the preferred term around here, and I'll get more into that later. Um, and as a number of you probably know, the FCC first adopted audio description rules in the year 2000, but unfortunately, a number of industry uh, players uh, brought suit to the Court of Appeals saying the FCC didn't have authority. Uh, the Court of Appeals uh, invalidated you know, th those rules. Um, 
saying that agreed with the industry saying the FCC didn't have authority, which meant it would take an act of Congress to correct the situation. And thanks to the hard work of a number of people, including uh, Eric Bridges and Mark Reichert, who are both here on the platform, uh, there was this act of Congress known as the CVAA. Um, and so let's give a shout out to Eric and Mark for the hard work that they did to, to bring that about. So in 2011, the FCC was able to reinstate the uh, original audio description rules that were adopted a decade earlier. Uh, and those rules require that TV broadcast stations in the top 25 markets, they're affiliated with the top four networks, that's ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox, must provide 50 hours of audio description per calendar quarter. That works out to about four hours a week. Uh, and that audio description must be on either primetime programming or children's programming. Uh, and the 25 markets was expanded to 60 markets as of July 1st of 2015. Um, the, um, for cable and satellite systems, they're serving 50,000 or more subscribers. Uh, they must provide audio description on the top five national non-broadcast networks. Um, non-broadcast networks that provide primarily live and near-live programming. That would be, for example, ESPN, which is primarily sports programming, or CNN, which uh, is primarily news programming. Uh, those are uh, not included in the requirements. So it's the top five networks that are doing a fair amount of pre-recorded programming. Um, and then all broadcasting, uh, as well as cable and satellite systems, whether they are, no matter how small or whether they're in the top 50, 25 or 60 markets or not, if they are technically capable, uh, must pass through audio description. Uh, so since a number of the audio described programs and network programs, if they're technically capable, they must uh, pass them through. Uh, and then the same program cannot be counted more than twice. So they could show the program, they could show a rerun of the program each time it counts towards the hours, but the third time that program is shown, whenever that program is shown, whether the same quarter or another quarter, or even several years later, it would not count uh, towards the requirement. Um, then uh, in April of 2013, the FCC passed the emergency information report and order, and that order uh, calls for when emergency information is provided as part of a regularly scheduled program in crawls or scrolls at the bottom of the screen and provided visually, uh, it must be conveyed orally on the secondary audio uh, channel. Yeah, secondary audio channel, that's the same secondary audio that video description is on, um, and it must be conveyed twice, and that's after the uh, the, 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 the beep, the tones, that, the three tones that you hear that uh, say that there's an emergency. But finally, you can find out what the emergency is, uh, as opposed to prior to the CVAA, you'd get the three tones, you'd know there's an emergency, but you would have no idea what it was about. Um, and this applies to all stations, uh, regardless of their, their size, if they're providing these scrolls and, and crawls. Uh, what this does is that by, applying, by 
by requiring all stations that provide these, you know, the, these crawls and scrolls to provide the emergency information orally on the secondary audio, it means that a lot of the stations in smaller markets and smaller cable systems now have uh, the technical capability to provide uh, audio description. So as a result of that, audio description is being passed through in a lot more, in a lot more markets. Um, now, in May of 2015, the FCC waived certain aspects of that requirement uh, for non-textual information, such as graphical information and, and maps, uh, does not have to be conveyed uh, orally until November of 2016, uh, and that was based on technical uh, problems that were brought to us by the industry. Um, at that time, the, uh, there was also a... Uh, I think the original deadline was supposed to be in May of 2015, and that was extended to November 30th, 2015, but that uh, deadline is coming come and gone, and everybody, as far as we know, is in compliance with that deadline. Although analog-only systems, of which there are very few left, have until uh, 2018 to comply, and probably by that date there may not even be any more analog-only systems. Um, there was also a waiver for audible school closing, for the audible school closing requirements, because school closings are part of uh, emergency information. The, pro the problem that w the industry fa faced, that was faced with that they brought to our attention, is sometimes these school closing announcements are very lengthy, and if they're put on in full, that would totally preempt the program that was, might, be, be, might be watched in audio description, so the FCC is looking at uh, what to do about that issue um, as, as we speak now. Um, another um, order that was adopted uh, was the User Interface and Program Guide order in October 2013, because audio description doesn't do you any good unless you can get to it. Um, and, uh, and so the... Um, so, so th this, this um, order requires that user interfaces and program guides must be easily accessible, which means that they must be orally, oral information must be provided, um, and you can also speak into the user interface and program guides. Uh, the deadline is December 20th of this year, um, although Comcast uh, came in about a year, almost two years early in, in making this available, and a shout out to Comcast for doing that. Um, we, we fully expect everybody else in the industry to comply by December 20th. Um, we, we keep reminding the industry of that, and we hope they do comply. Um, they, they were on notice that there would be such requirements since the CVA was adopted in October 2010. Uh, when the rules were adopted three years later, uh, they were given a three-year implementation date, but they could have been planning even before the rules were adopted. So they've had a total of six years to know about this. Um, and this applies to TVs that are manufactured after the compliance date, which means hopefully all the TVs in the fall um, lineup of new models, uh, which are made available in terms of the holiday shopping season, should hopefully... Uh, all be in compliance by now, even though technically they're not required to comply until December. Um, it applies to uh, satellite and cable companies must provide accessible set-top boxes, a 
upon request at no extra charge after the, the compliance deadline, uh, so that even if the only accessible set-top box is that a cable or satellite company has is a higher-end box than the one you are subscribing to, uh, they must, if that's the only one available, they must provide it at no extra charge, although in order to prevent people without disabilities from uh, ordering set-top boxes that they don't want to, you know, that they don't want to pay for, they may require, they're, they're allowed to require documentation to demonstrate disability. Um, there was also a, uh, a, an emergency information second report and order adopted in May of 2015, which requires the pass-through of audible emergency information to secondary screens such as laptops, tablets, and smartphones, when the emergency information is delivered over the cable or satellite systems network and as part of its services. Um, and that deadline is July 10th, 2017. So we have a couple of, uh, another year before that deadline. Um, then there was a user interface second report and order adopted in November 2015. Um, and that one requires that people with disabilities receive access to information and documentation on the functionalities of the devices, including, uh, and that could be included of, of their, that they are obtaining. And that could be included in user guides, bills, installation guides, and product support information through technical support. It requires equipment manufacturers to notify consumers about the availability of accessible devices on their websites. It requires manufacturers and video programming distributors uh, a, to provide a contact person or office to answer questions about their accessible equipment and features. And as of December 20th, 2016, a mechanism for activating the secondary audio uh, to access audible emergency information must be simple and easy to use, such as a button key or icon or comparable method. And since we were able to adopt this requirement for emergency information, since the sec same secondary audio channel is used for video, for audio description, uh, that would make it much easier to access audio description as of December 2016. Um, and the Commission also ruled on reconsideration that closed captioning and video description activation mechanism relying on a gesture control will be permissible if they are simple and easy to use. So that avoids the situation where people may have had to do various kinds of complicated gestures to, to, to get the change made. Um, then in the second further notice, the uh, Commission proposed to require manufacturers and video programming distributors to ensure that consumers are able to readily access the user display settings for closed captioning. For those who are not familiar with that, um, as part of the digital TV transition, the FCC adopted requirements, that they're also known as the 708 features, uh, to be able to make adjustments to various aspects of um, captioning which helps people with low vision who rely on captioning, such as the, the type of font, the size of the font, uh, the color of the, uh, 
the color of the uh, captioning, the color of the background captioning, uh, as well as contrast, all things like that, which people with low vision can take advantage of to improve their, the accessibility of the captioning. However, the problem is, is that many of the um, TVs, as well as cable set-top boxes, required a degree in electrical engineering in order to be able to access and work those controls. Um, and so, um, so the proposal is to make those controls simple and easy to use. Uh, the FCC um, has accepted comment on that. Uh, the comment period is closed, um, and we're hoping to be able to come out with an order uh, before the end of the year. Uh, it's part of the chairman's priorities. So I think we, we, we should be able to do that. Um, and then for the probably what's the big, the big issue here is that the, in April of 2016, the FCC released a notice of proposed rulemaking to expand the availability of audio description and included a number of proposals in that. Uh, First is to increase the amount of the required audio description per calendar quarter from 50 to 87.5 hours, which works out to about seven hours per week. That would be the maximum that Congress will allow us to do under the CVAA. Uh, another would be to increase the number of broadcast networks from four to five, and the number five network is Univision, uh, so that uh, so so if the FCC adopts that, it will allow the uh, Spanish-speaking community to obtain audio description. Um, it would also increase the number of broadcast networks from five to ten, and a companion proposal is to adopt a no backsliding rule. So if under the current rules, if a um, if a non-broadcast network drops out of the top five. Uh, down to number six, it's no longer required to offer audio description. But if there were no backsliding rule, it would, uh, even if it dropped out of the top five or if adopted the top ten, it would still be required to, um, adopt, you know, to provide audio description. Uh, another rule is is that right now the uh, audio description rules apply to the uh, top five nationwide. Uh, non-broadcast networks. Non, by the way, non-broadcast, I'm talking about really the, 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 uh, the, the non-TV broadcast networks that you see on cable and satellite. Um, and so those are defined as they have to reach at least 50% of the households. But, if a, but, but under this proposal, if, a, if there were a regional network that covers fewer than 50% of the TV households, that means it would passed by fewer than 50% of the TV households, uh, but it was among the top 10 non-broadcast networks, it could be included under if, if these rules were to be adopted. Um, it would also require dedicated customer service representatives who can answer questions about accessing audio description, uh, so that way you, you don't have a uh, problem when you call in to a... Uh, to, to a uh, cable satellite company, and the person who answers the phone doesn't know what audio description is. Uh, they, will, they, they will be required to be trained to at least know what audio description is. If, they don't be able, if they're not the ones to answer your questions, they would be able to refer you to somebody who does, or they could have a dedicated uh, 
you know, phone line for audio description questions. There are different ways they can approach it, but the idea would be that that way the questions can, can get answered. Uh, it would require electronic filing of petitions for exemption, of which we've received none to date, which is very good, um, rather than paper filing, which would make them more accessible, uh, as well as responses could be done electronically. It seeks comment with, without a proposal on the availability of program guide information with respect to audio description, um, and you know, hopefully the comments and reply comments will pro uh, provide us with additional information to perhaps conduct additional proceedings in that regard. Uh, and this is a shout out to Joel Snyder, one of his favorites, is to change the name in the rules from video description to audio description. Uh, and comments were filed on June 27th, and the reply comment period is still open. Reply comments are due on July 26th. Um, and again, this, this proceeding is also one of the chairman's priorities, so we hope that the commission will be able to vote on an item. No, no promises, just like the other one, but we're hoping there'll be able to be a commission vote before the end of the year. Um, the, um, also on a couple of other topics, um, in October of 2015, uh, the FCC, uh, FCC's Disability Advisory Committee um, hosted a summit on the communications needs of people with cognitive and intellectual disabilities. Um, and panels on that, uh, panels of experts in that uh, summit included communications technologies for independent living, emergency preparedness uh, and living in the community, and the third one was ensuring and funding access to equipment, training, and broadband for people with cognitive disabilities. Um, and there was um, an exhibition of assistive technology during, uh, during that summit. Um, and, and then one other um, aspect of the CVA that I'd like to talk about today is advanced communication services. Um, advanced communication services, uh, you know, are... Um, are considered, um, there are four categories of such services, um, interconnected voice over the internet, non-interconnected voice over the internet, electronic messaging, which would be things like texting, email, uh, you know, text chatting, and other such services, and interoperable video conferencing services. Um, and in uh, And basically what the CVA requires and what the FCC rules require that were adopted in October 2011 and became effective in October 2013 is that advanced communication services, also known as ACS, uh, must be accessible uh, unless not achievable. Um, and uh, achievable under the, both Congress's and the FCC's definition means can be accomplished without unreasonable difficulty or expense. Uh, now, not all products must be achievable so long as there are a variety of products and services um, over a range of prices that are accessible. Um, and what, what one issue that um, has, has been before the commission, um, which the uh, commission addressed again in February of 2016, are e-readers. Um, and um, the com uh, commission... Uh, and, and let me give you a little bit of background on, on e-readers, is, uh, is, is that Congress uh, directed the FCC to um, waive the ACS requirements 
when a product is primarily uh, for a non-ACS purpose, uh, but may include some ACS functions in that. Uh, so mo a lot of the products that used to work with tablets, laptops, smartphones, are multi-purpose devices, um, of which they have multiple primary purposes, including the ACS purposes like texting and email uh, and, and other things. So, so, those are, you know, so those types of products are, 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 are always covered. Uh, but a number of years ago, the e-reader coalition asked us to say that basic e-readers, and there, there are really two types of e-readers. You have your basic e-readers, and then you have your more advanced uh, e-readers, which are really tablets. So they were asking for this exemption just for the basic e-readers, where they are primarily um, they, they are primarily used just for reading, um, and that they asked for an exemption for that. And unfortunately, the way the statute is written, uh, we had to give them an, an, an exemption uh, because we must follow the statute. Uh, but we did define what a basic e-reader that would be exempt would be. There'd be no LCD screen um, that is optimized for reading. Rather, it would be more typically what you, you'd see on a tablet. A device would have no camera, and the device would not be offered or shipped to consumers with the built-in ACS client, and the device does not develop ACS uh, and the device manufacturers does not develop ACS applications for the device and does not promote such, you know, and, and there are no applications. And, um, and it, it has to be marketed to consumers as a reading device, um, and promotional materials can't talk about ACS. Um, so some of these devices had browsers that were really used to help download and access the reading functions. Um, and in 20 February of this year, we uh, granted an ongoing waiver, but we've asked for them to report to us in February of 2019 uh, with a study of the technological developments and marketing of these devices, um, after which the FCC may consider whether to make any adjustments to the waiver or whether to terminate it if the FCC determines that the ACS has become a primary co-primary purpose of these devices. Um, but one of the things that was very helpful to us is around the time that we were able, you know, that we granted this, um, Amazon has come up with uh, an accessible e-reader uh, by being able to plug in uh, external speaker headphones and by having uh, text to uh, vo voice conversions on the e-reader. And a shout out to Amazon for developing that and hopefully the other e-reader manufacturers will voluntarily follow suit. Um, um, and we do have time for questions and okay, go ahead and do that. Yeah, so I see somebody standing uh, in a blue jacket but, uh, in front of a microphone. Um, go ahead and speak. You're the only person standing in front of the microphone, so go ahead and speak. It's, it's not on. There it is. Yeah, you're on. Oh, okay. Hi, this is Joe Sorensen, New Mexico. I'm just wondering, was all of this eventually 
Would a network like Trinity Broadcasting Network, TBN, be required to have audio descriptions? I have movies on there that I wish... (laughs) Excuse me, which network are you asking about? Uh, TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network. Trinity Broadcasting. The the problem is they are probably not in the... um, This is not TBS Turner Broadcasting, or it's Trinity. Right. So Trinity is not in the top Five and probably will not be in the top ten. Right. Uh, so at least the way we're proposing the rules, they they would not be included. All right. Okay. Sit down. We'll we'll we might bring you back for a second here. We have we're gonna do a little bit of business, um, and so uh, don't go anywhere. Um, is the chair of our resolutions committee at a mic? In, indeed, sir. Okay. I'm gonna turn it over to Mark Reichert the erstwhile chair of the ACB Resolutions Committee for one resolution. Good morning, ACB. You guys are so ready for a break or another one, aren't you? You're, you're rip-roaring ready to go. A word or two about resolutions. Yep, I'm the guy who reads the resolutions, uh, and you're the folks who sit out there and sometimes yawn uh, as they're reading them. But we take this stuff very seriously because when you pass resolutions, it's your opportunity to weigh in as members of this organization and to let, uh, let the world know what we think as a community. Uh, this week we are meeting a number of times. Your committee's already met several times this uh, week uh, during convention, conference and convention, met a couple times by phone. If you'd like to come by and see the action live and in person, it's, uh, it's not on cable. It's not a pay-per-view event. Uh, it would, however, make for an interesting described show. Uh, I'm certain of it. Uh, particularly, well, no, I'm not going to go there. Um, in any case, uh, tonight, tomorrow night, and Wednesday night in the Minnehaha room. Minnehaha couldn't be a better, more apt name for a room for the Resolutions Committee. <laughs> I understand it means happy water or something like that. There's a lot of jokes I could share with you there. I'm not going there. Uh, you, uh, the deadline to turn in resolutions is tonight. Tonight by 9 p.m. You can come by the Minnehaha room. We're going to meet tonight at 8. So you can drop resolutions by. We will take it in just about every, any medium uh, that there is. Uh, you're welcome to email it to me at the address mreichert at afb.net, spelled M. R-I-C-H-E-R-T at AFB.net. M-R-I-C-H-E-R-T at AFB.net. You're welcome to call me on a cell phone, but not at 3 a.m., unless, of course, you don't want your resolution to be addressed at all. That number is 571-438-7895. 571-438-7895. Get your stuff in to us by 9 p.m. tonight. If you can't meet that deadline, and I know a number of... Uh, affiliates, et cetera, may be taking votes, et cetera. I, you know, uh, put, put the resolutions in when you can. It's just that we set the deadline up for guaranteeing that the committee will tackle resolutions that are submitted by a deadline. If you submit your resolution after the deadline, it will be at the discretion of the committee to play with it. But as an ACB member, you have a right to have your resolution read on the floor. With that... Mr. Chair, we have a resolution for you. And ladies and gentlemen, this is exactly on point with the discussion that we've just been having. So this is your opportunity. Are, are you guys ready to, uh, to raise the roof a little bit out there? That's right. So my first warning to you is, is, is this resolution long? Well, <laughs> let me tell you something. There's an expression in Minnesota. They say, yeah, you betcha. 
This resolution, is it long? Yeah, you betcha. But it's very important, and let me just remind you that sometimes these resolutions are prepared not to be enjoyed orally as much as we, of course, love to to deal with them. They're really meant to be distributed in document form, and our friends and colleagues at the National Office are excited to put a document like this forward to the FCC and well beyond uh, as we advocate issues. So with that, let's read. Whereas the historic... 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act, or CVAA, and its implementing regulations promise a revolution in the use and enjoyment of digital TV through audio description and accessible video equipment. And by the way, since this might take a little while to go through, why don't you just cheer about the things you like? Let's hear it for the CVAA. So keep that enthusiasm coming because I might not be able to provide it, but you might, so let's keep reading. Whereas current law requires only a small number of television networks to carry a few hours of audio description programming per quarter amounting to a f- only a fraction of all TV programming available. Boo. Whereas nearly 100% of all available TV programming is currently closed captioned, uh, while uh, only a tiny proportion of programming is being described today. Whereas in, uh, let's see, whereas in some cases, instead of creating new audio described uh, material, only old programs and movies are Uh, being repeated by certain uh, networks. And where... (laughs) he says. And whereas the multiplicity of TV programming... Now remember, we do want to get finished, Mr. Chair. They're interrupting me. I'm just doing my business here. Whereas the multiplicity of TV programming delivery methods available uh, today has the potential to exponentially increase the, the uh, demand for audio description. And whereas producers and distributors of TV programming have told audio description advocates for decades that if we would just be patient, the, the proliferation of digital TV delivery systems would naturally ensure the availability and designation of a specific digital audio stream for description. They haven't done that, have they? They haven't done that. Where And whereas, even with the current technical capacity for 12 such available channels, to date, there has been no meaningful uh, industry effort to move toward the designation of a single channel reserved for audio description boo hiss and whereas a designated description channel would allow for the creation of a single shortcut key or command that could be standardized on every delivery system to reliably actuate audio-described programming whenever such programming is available. (laughs) And whereas such a designation would also no, no longer require audio description to needlessly compete with second language audio services... 
which occurs today for those programs where secondary language takes precedence over description. And whereas, as the demand for audio description grows, uh, whether in theaters, on television, or via the uh, myriad of other consumer choices, and there's one right now... Viewers who are blind or who have low vision have an increasingly urgent need for complete, accurate, and timely information about what described content is being offered and how and where it can be enjoyed. And whereas, while for more than a decade there has been a commitment to ensure that all captioned programming, all captioned programs are accurately uh, listed in a timely fashion, uh, whereas that's the case, there is no comparable centralized listing of described TV content available today. And whereas the, the CVAA has allowed the cable and satellite industries a more than generous timeline to develop and distribute set-top, box, uh, set-top boxes that are accessible uh, and Whereas, by the end of 2016, providers are expected to have such equipment ready and available to their customers. They'd better do it. And whereas one provider, Comcast, has already demonstrated that that development and distribution of an accessible solution is categorically achievable by making the, in quotes, talking guide and other components available today. And whereas the more than 21 million American consumers with vision loss who could benefit from such accessible equipment have already had to wait an unconscionably long time for the simple dignity and pleasure of being able to independently choose television programming and to enjoy it with audio description. And whereas a serious problem exists today with DVD players or DVD recordings, uh, in that it is currently impossible for people who are blind or who have low vision to easily select the audio description track on a DVD. And whereas both the CVAA and the Federal Communications, Commission, Federal Communications Commission's ancillary jurisdiction surely vest the FCC with proper authority to address this issue. And w- uh, there we go. I'm so excited. I almost thought there was another whereas. You'll be grateful to know that's that. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the American Council of the Blind, a convention assembled on this, the fourth day of July 2016, at the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Minneapolis, Minnesota, that this organization strongly urges the Federal Communications Commission, FCC2, bullet, substantially expand the number of hours of audio-described TV programming required per calendar quarter. Let's hear it. Next bullet, increase the number of networks required to offer described programming and the designated markets which audio descri- where audio description is provided. And third, propose and issue regulations requiring the designation of a dedicated digital stream only for audio description. 
And be it further resolved that this organization strongly urges the FCC to, to exercise all appropriate authority to foster, the crea- to foster the creation of, set standards for, and monitor the quality of a centralized described TV programming listing to ensure that information about audio-described programming is on par with information about captioned TV. And be it further resolved that this organization ask the FCC to encourage and support the establishment of a centralized supplemental resource listing all audio-described content, including content made available in movie theaters, on DVDs, or through Internet streaming services. And be it further resolved that this organization declares, declares to the FCC, we say, Elliot, listen up, big boy. Elliot Greenwald is a fantastic friend, and we are so lucky to have people like Elliot at the commission. He has taken note of every word that you've read, (laughs) and he's going to get a copy of it, too. (laughs) Declares to the FCC that our firm conviction that there is absolutely no justifiable rationale for granting any industry-proposed waivers or extensions to come into compliance with the, with the CVAA's accessible cable and satellite equipment rules taking effect at the end of this year. And be it further resolved that this organization is prepared and stands ready to assist its members, chapters, and affiliates to file complaints with the FCC as early as January 2017 against any cable or satellite provider or any other covered entity which, fa- <laughs> which is failing to comply with the CVAA and which consequently should be subject to the CVAA's significant penalties. And be it further resolved that this organization is prepared to take all appropriate actions to ensure that the FCC enforces that, uh, enforces, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, technical meeting, enforces in requirements of, the requirements of Section 204 of the CVAA to compel manufacturers of DVD players to make their user interfaces accessible, including assuring that audio description tracks are be able to be accessed by individuals who are blind or visually impaired. And be it further resolved that this organization, through its elected staff and leadership, and its audio description project, as always, stands, remains ready and willing to work in amicable partnership with any and all industry stakeholders desiring to, as, to assess the accessibility and usability of solutions for any of the matters discussed herein, which they may be considering or which they may propose. Now, do you all think, ladies and gentlemen, you think the Resolutions Committee is recommending a due pass on this? Yeah, you betcha! Okay. Yeah. Is there any discussion of this resolution? Hearing none, now we have to. Uh, we didn't have an actual. Uh, he, hearing none, all those in favor say aye. Aye. 
All opposed. Abstentions. The resolution is adopted. Yeah, you Thank betcha. You. Thank you, Mr. Okay. Chair. I need, I need to have, I, I'm going to make say one word here, but I need to have oral at a mic, and I need to have Catalina ready with a door prize. But before I recognize oral, um, you know, the FCC has done some wonderful things lately. We had a great, great uh, address by Elliot, giving us uh, a fantastic amount of information. Let's hear it for Elliot, who has been a... Thank you very much for all that you're doing at the FCC, and uh, we, we are appreciative of the ability to work with you in partnership and collaboration in the future. Okay. Oral, are you ready to give a very brief yes. recreation zone yes, tur- update? Turn on this microphone. You're on. As soon as this, we're on. Good. Okay, thank you very much uh, after hearing that uh, brief resolution <laughs> and the discussion. We will move to another even briefer subject. I will remind you that one of the broad objectives of the American Council of the Blind over the years has been to promote good health and healthful conditions. And uh, as you know from uh, resolutions and other policies adopted over the years, one of the means for this, of course, has been healthful activity. And much of this harks back some 25-plus years ago to a generous bequest that was made to the American Council by the late Dr. Charles Buell, who uh, was an educator but also a proponent of physical activity in the promotion of good health, uh, social development, acceptance, etc. As a result of this, over the years, ACB has included many activities especially around convention time and so forth. So I'm going to mention to you just a few that are actually listed openly, very clearly, and this is not the complete list by any means, of uh, such activities in this year's program. And we begin, for example, with today, Monday. Monday at 5.45 p.m., there will be an activity involving the healthful activity of yoga lattes. Yoga lattes. That will be under the direction of uh, a very active uh, young lady who uh, is sometimes humorously referred to as Leslie Teaspoon. (laughs) Leslie Spoon, who does a fine job. Next one is Tuesday... That's tomorrow at 5.45 p.m. There will be an activity involving touch self-defense. On Tuesday at 8 p.m. tomorrow also, there will be audible darts. And on Wednesday at 1.15, breathing for healing, breathing for health. And on Thursday at 5.45, there will be another yoga lattes. And uh, there are many other activities. I didn't attempt to cover all those listed in the program uh, and the schedule this year, but there will be many others listed 
and I urge you, find the time to take part in these great activities. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Okay, we're going to do one door prize, but first, so have the name ready, Catalina. I'm sorry. Janet has an announcement. Morning, everybody. Just a couple quick things so that everybody knows what's going on. Um, I know it was in the newspaper today, but I just want to make sure everyone knows BPI Suite, Suite 3126, plus their new expanded space next door, so they're going to have a much bigger space. RSVA in 5126. Uh, at the lost and found at the information desk we have found a dog pouch with treats, a figurine of a boxer, probably Jack the dog that was found on the bus from Walnut Grove, we have a whistle on a wrist loop we also have lost, someone lost their book port in Minnehaha, so if anyone has that please return it We, it was found, oh the information desk didn't know that, sorry also, a prescription bottle for Marilyn Prahan. If anyone has found that, please return that to the information desk. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, Catalina, a door prize. Let's make, oops, sorry. Let's make this sweet to have a nice four and a half pound bag of Ike and Mike candies donated by the American Council of the Blind of Minnesota to Nebraska. Jim Jurak, are you here? No, Jim. Sounds right. like. He's probably in the bar. <laughs> Lori Hadley. Who was that one? Say that one again. Lori. Ha- Lori Hadley, are you here? No, Lori, apparently. Julie Johnson. Julie Johnson. No? No? I don't hear any screams, so go for it. Joanne Moffat? Apparently. From, all right. Yes, we have From a winner. Montana. Okay, we stand adjourned until tomorrow. Mr. Chairman? At 8.30. Thank you very Mr. much Mr. for your attention. It's been a pleasure. Mr. Chairman? Come to the right side of the stage, please, for your award. I don't think he did either. Okay, that's going to wrap up this morning's session. We're not going to have any live streaming this afternoon, but I'm going to quickly prep this file, and we'll get the replay of the general session going on ECB Radio Mainstream. Um, i got to go help fix some, get some recording devices set up for some of the other sessions that we are recording. Uh, so after that, I'll get uh, all the workshops that we have thus far uploaded to live event and we'll get them replaying over there so stay tuned and we'll get all that going in the next uh hopefully the next couple hours actually the general session that one will be done pretty quickly we should probably have that replaying for you in the next uh 10 to 15 minutes or so
Here is the schedule for Tuesday, July 5th. Beginning in the Nicollet Ballroom at 8 a.m., Entertainment, Callan Hendrickson, Flute, Hopkins, Minnesota, 8.30 a.m., Invocation, Pastor Russ Grigsby, Lebanon Lutheran Church, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Pledge of Allegiance, 2016 Scholarship Winners, 8.35 a.m., ACB Business, what? Oh, okay. 8.35 a.m., ACB Business, ACB Sponsor Recognitions, Marjorie Beeman, Advertising and Sponsorship Coordinator, Austin, Texas, Emerald Sponsor Presentation, Uber, Lindsay Ellen, Head Community Engagement, Washington, D.C., and Malcolm Glenn, Strategic Partnerships Manager, Washington, D.C., Ruby Sponsor Presentation, Humanware, Dominic Gagliano, Vice President, Sales Americas, Scottsdale, Arizona, Nominating Committee Report, Mike Adino, Chair, Malvern, New York, Constitution and Bylaws, John Huffman, Chair, Indianapolis, Indiana. Resolutions, Mark Reichert, Chair, Arlington, Virginia. Presiding Officer, John McCann, ACB Second Vice President, Tucson, Arizona. 9.15 a.m. 2016 ACB Scholarship Presentations, Reverend Michael Garrett, Chair, Scholarship Committee, Missouri City, Texas. 10.20 a.m. Break. 10.35 a.m. Emerald Sponsor Presentation, Microsoft Corporation Update. Clint Covington, Principal Program Manager, Office Redmond, Washington. 11 a.m., WIOA, The Reality of Rehabilitation in 2016 panel. Michelle Capella McDonnell, Ph.D., Research Professor and Director, National Rehabilitation and Training Center on Blindness and Low Vision, Mississippi State University, Starkville, Mississippi. Mark Reichert, J.D., Director of Public Policy, Senior Advisor for Strategic Initiatives, American Foundation for the Blind, Washington, D.C. Lori Scharf, President, ACB of New York, Inc. Malvern, New York, and Anthony Stevens, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, American Council of the Blind, Alexandria, Virginia. 11.55 a.m. announcements. And that concludes the schedule for Tuesday, July 5th.